It's time for Twit this week in tech. We have a great panel for you. Glenn Fleischman is here. Uh, Dwight Silverman, formerly of The Chronicle, and a CEO who knows a lot, Mr. Phil Libin, one of the founders of Evernote and the creator of Mm -hmm, (laughs) the app with a crazy name. We'll talk about what's going on at Twitter. Phil has some some calming words for us. Elizabeth Holmes gets 11 years in federal prison. Is that too much? And we now know the Earth weighs six ronograms. What's a ronogram? Stay tuned and find out. Twit is next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This This is is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 902, recorded Sunday, November 20th, 2022. May contain nuts. This Week in Tech is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter makes it easy to hire for even the most specific role, like, well, I don't know, a mascot in Missouri. In fact, four out of five employers find a quality candidate within the first day. Try it free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. And by Nureva. Nureva has simplified everything about meetings and classroom audio. You get great audio and systems that are easy to install and manage. Visit Nureva.com slash twit and get 50% off one Nureva HDL 300 system for mid-sized rooms when you get a live online demo. And buy before December 16th, 2022. And by Wealthfront. Visit Wealthfront.com slash twit to get started and get your free $50 bonus with an initial deposit of $500. That's Wealthfront.com slash twit. And by ExpressVPN. Protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use ExpressVPN.com slash twit today and you'll get an extra three months free on a one-year package. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. And as Phil said, there's not much to talk about this week. Phil Libin is here. It's great to have him. Love Phil. First became aware of him when he was founder and CEO of one of my all-time favorite note-taking apps, Evernote. He has uh, since moved on. He is now uh, the co-founder and CEO of All Turtles, which is what an AI kind of uh, proving ground. Uh, and mm-hmm. The app with the name mm-hmm, MMHMM that he's using right now to be flying in his private jet. Hi, Phil. Hey, Leo. Nice to be with you. It's great to have you uh, on the show. Always uh, welcome. Uh, I brought you on this week because, of course, Evernote is in the news, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. I'd like to get your take. But you're, but then there's many other things I want to talk to you about. Of course, you've run companies. You know what it's like to take over a company. Um, to have technical infrastructure, have technical debt. I want to know what you think of what's going on uh, at Twitter. And because you were born in the Soviet Union and have Ukrainian family, I'd love to hear your thoughts about all of that. So we have lots to talk about. All the fun topics. Yeah, sorry. I'll I'll throw some... We'll do something silly. We'll throw something silly. (laughs) That's Glenn Fleischman. He's in charge of fun here uh, at the network. We love seeing Glenn. Glenn Glenn.fun is his website. You see him on MacBreak Weekly. You see him on our Mastodon, where he is a great uh, contributor. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Thanks yeah. for having me back Always for pleasure. this boring, boring week. This week in which nothing whatsoever happened. Nothing. Anywhere in technology. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 
we'll find something to talk about. So slow. And a dear friend who's been with us for many, many years. I remember talking to you when the iPad came out. How many years ago is that? Dwight Silverman. Uh, many years at the Houston Chronicle. He ran a radio show in, out of Texas for a long time. He's at authory.com slash Silverman. That's where all of his uh, work goes, and there's quite a bit of it. Good to see you, Dwight. And it's really good to be here. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking this week because, you know, as Phil said, it's a slow news week, and <laughs> you get a chance to make stuff up this week, and I'm all about that. Uh, wow. I don't even know where to start. We should have had a vote. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, holy cow. Holy cow. Um, uh, yeah, let's do a Twitter poll. So let's. Uh, you said the word Twitter. Might as well do it. Uh, Donald Trump is back uh, on the on the blue bird. Not that he said anything. In fact, in a way, I don't know if he should be too glad he's back because the tweets are the last tweets he made on January sixth. <laughs> uh, somewhat incriminating, maybe. Uh, he has said that he's going to stay on his own uh, site, Truth Social. But this is the latest thing uh, that Elon. Uh, did that is kind of contradictory to something he said earlier. He said we're going to have a, a panel of experts to approve the re- return and departure of people and then eh, forget that. Let's have a poll. As many have pointed out, uh, that poll is easily gamed. Uh, somebody said, well, now we know what the GRU wants. Although I got to say it was, pr- it was surprisingly close. I thought it would be overwhelmingly in favor of bringing back the former president. Um, so, so much has happened. Twitter is the gift that keeps on giving. Although I saw Mike Maples Jr. Uh, kind of snappishly, maybe you saw this too, Phil, on Twitter saying uh, to uh, one of the, I think it was to Casey Newton of Platformer, who's been covering this, doing a very good job. He's got a lot of sources in Twitter, saying, why don't you cover something more productive than the, the demise of Twitter? I think this is a bigger story. This is not. This is a real news story, isn't it? Or is it just a soap opera, Phil? I mean, it's both. Um, I, I, I am not expecting the demise of Twitter out of this. There's, uh, you know, more drama than is probably uh, strictly necessary. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been interesting to watch. It's definitely maximizing for my entertainment. Uh, it is entertaining. Uh, it was very yeah. sad on Twitter on Friday night. Uh, when the news came that, uh, you know, this was Elon's deadline uh, for engineers to either go hardcore or go home. And uh, he put out a a form, a Google form, oddly enough, uh, that somebody should check saying, yes, I'm willing to go hardcore with you or no, I'll take my three-month severance now. Uh, I imagine a number of, we don't know what the actual response, although the New York Times uh, is reporting and Casey News reporting about 1,100 engineers took advantage of that three-month uh, severance. I think that's the sensible thing to do, but I, it's not binding. I imagine a, a large number of people just said, I don't have to answer that. <laughs> it's going well, to come to work. Has anybody left there who could fire them? That's the question. I, I was reading, I think the New York Times had a one of the anecdotes they had was a woman roaming around the building for two days because her manager had been fired to try to give notice, and she finally found her new manager, gave notice, and then that manager was fired the next day or left. So it does have a kind of uh, Keystone Cops, Marx Brothers, uh, Fellini vibe. Like there's just a a lot of stuff happening all at once and some of it's farce and some of it's, um, you know, overwhelming. And some of it's rumor that is probably not provably true. For instance, there there was a confirmed story that badge access was turned off uh, 
on Friday, and then nobody could go in. Nobody's going to be able to go in until Monday. But Elon, at one twenty uh, on Saturday morning, <laughs> posted a picture of him going beast mode with the remaining engineers. It's a small group, and uh, there's only one, two, th- a few women, mostly guys. Um, this is what's left, uh, Elon inside. This is his so-called code review. Uh, he was telling, bring, bring, uh, bring 10 screenshots of your code. This is what he posted on his Twitter. It doesn't look like code. It looks like they're telling him how Twitter works at this point. Yeah. Um, also, I wonder when he disabled card key access, was he trying to keep people in or keep them out? I wasn't sure. Supposedly the rumor was that the card key access ended because the whole team that managed it was gone. <laughs> and that was a bad, down. that was a tweet from a prankster, by the way. Yes. Right, right, right. And the prankster but, but, said nobody can get out. So they had to call me back in. But of course, card keys don't work that way. They keep right. people out, not keep people in. You'd have a fire code right. violation if you couldn't get out. <laughs> the, 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 the deadline was Thursday. Yeah. And and one of the thing and supposedly the form that you went to when you clicked on his link was simply yes. <laughs> oh, I and, didn't do that. Oh, interesting. Yes, and the people and the people who didn't click yes were presumed to have by default uh, put that's in no their resignation. Wow. Right. Right. So and that's how it worked. Uh you've run technical teams, Phil? Yeah. Still am. Um uh, how do engineers take to this kind of thing? Look, I think um, Elon's always been an outlier, uh, and Twitter's an outlier, and there's not that much that we can learn from really studying you know, outliers. Like, by definition, most things don't behave like this. Most companies don't run like this. Uh, I think it's hard to predict uh, how it's going to go, other than, look, at the end of the day, like it's a website. They're going to figure it out. This isn't the hardest thing that, that, that Elon's like built. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to get it right. Again, there's going to be a lot more drama than than you know than I would have liked to see, and a lot of people's lives get uh, kind of turned upside down, or at least add a lot of uncertainty around who gets you know who around jobs. Uh, so it's like it's drama, it's theater. But I think people like predicting that this is the end of Twitter. I I, I don't know. I mean, maybe right. Hard to know the future, but I'm I'm certainly not expecting I, it to. To I don't think you know. A lot of people said, "Oh, it's only a matter of time before the website fails." I don't. First of all, you design it to keep going. Uh, even if everybody walked out of the building, it would keep yeah. going for some time. Um, I don't. I, I, yeah, you're right. I don't see this as the end of Twitter. Maybe the bigger disagree. question is the end of content moderation. Oh, and I. I for a while, you people were posting full-length Hollywood movies on Twitter. They fixed that, by the way. They, they, the, the crew that was taking that stuff down came either yeah. arrived or finally noticed. Yeah, I, I got to strongly disagree on the technical side, not because I have magic insight into Twitter's code base, but every report that's come out of there from people who've left recently and many people in the past is that they have... Uh, an incredibly fragile infrastructure that they've barely been able to keep alive for years and that there's a, so much uh, accumulated technical debt without working on core restructuring, refactoring, all the rest of it to keep it more reliable. Um, you know, Mudge, who was the engineer who left and became a whistleblower, he said that thing about, which makes a lot of sense, is that there's so many, so many services that depend on each other. If there were actually a, 
complete temporary collapse of the systems, everything had to be shut down, you know, basically power cycle, everything, then they might not be able to bring it back up because some services are dependent on other things running. And if those aren't running, they can't come up. So I, I don't want to predict uh, doom, but when you get 75 or 80% of the people at a company are gone. They're running their own data center operations for the most part, which is unusual for a company of, of that particular scale and with those kind of operations. There's so much that uh, could easily go wrong, and the person who knows how to fix it is nowhere in sight. So I don't think it's necessary that the site just goes down as you know entropy and that they can't fix things, but that there may simply be too many plates spinning that all crash to the ground at once and they can't catch them. There may be, or or it may be okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, but it's optimal. You know, when you, if you had, if you fired, if you fired eighty percent of your staff, yeah. could you keep everything running on an operation that that serves hundreds of millions of people, and is got all of these conflicting regulatory and uh, other? I mean, they've got regulatory burdens to meet. They have technical right. burdens to meet. Right. They run their own infrastructure. Right. I guess that's I, a good question: is which is going to be the first to go? Is it going to be? <laughs> The uh, content layer or the technical layer? Um, the content's going to be tough. You've got, as you said, uh, and I think Elon underestimated how many different countries he was going to have to appease, many of which he does business in with Tesla. Uh, that's going to be a real challenge uh, for him. Um, he also seems to have a failing common among some billionaires that he... He seems to be very hands-on, and I I little bit worry that you know when he says we're going to turn off eighty percent of microservices. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that there's no one there to say you know Elon, that's a bad idea, and here's why. Yoel Roth for a long time, uh, Jeff Jarvis was saying, well, it's not going to be too bad because Yoel Roth is there, head of trust and safety. He's not. Mm-hmm. In fact, he wrote a piece uh, on the New York Times. He was very judicious, I think. But he said they don't need a head of trust and safety because Elon is making the decisions now. In other words, it's not a it's not a it's it's not a it's not a democracy. It's not he doesn't have advisors. It's Elon. And he says, well, you don't need me anymore because uh, I got nothing. I got nothing to say about anything. And they may be. And I know probably this was another story was that some engineers were worried about long term liability if they stuck around and had no power to, to, to counter Elon's worst impulses. But, okay, so look, um, I don't remember a previous time where so many people have like actively and gleefully wanted a company to... That's a good apart. point. And there is a very much and, of and, that. And so it? publicly. Yeah. Um, and, 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 even, and, and many of the people who wanted to fall apart also wanted to stay and not fall apart. You can have both of those ideas in your head at the same time. Uh, you know, Twitter. Twitter in the long term has been one of the companies uh, that's really, um, I think, forced our society and our discourse to become maximalized, to become all about like exaggerating conflict. It, like Twitter has helped make, has has helped like professional wrestling eyes <laughs> most of our conversation. <laughs> I don't think they've been as guilty of this as Facebook. I think Facebook has been worse. Um, but but Twitter certainly contributed to that, and you know a few years ago Jack decided, hey this is this is bad, and so they're going to f- focus on healthy conversations, and they try to figure out how to tone down, and they were you know successful to some extent, but it's 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 appropriate like Twitter the company that made everything into high drama, 
is now experiencing high tide. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, Hoist with their own like, petard. Well, yeah, but, but this isn't like, this isn't ironic. It's the opposite. It's, it's exactly what you it's would inevitable. expect yeah. to happen. It's inevitable. But it doesn't mean that like, it doesn't mean, like, yeah, it's going to go through a period of high drama. I think, again, it's hard to predict the future. Uh, I have seen a lot of the stuff that Elon's done. I think we all have. I have some sense of the complexity required to run systems that hundreds of millions of people use. I've never, I've never operated systems that more than hundreds of millions of people use, but I have operated systems that hundreds of millions of people use, which is not quite the scale of Twitter. But also that was for me many years ago. Things have gotten a little bit easier with infrastructure. So I have some appreciation of that. And I've seen other stuff that Elon's done, and they're like orders of magnitude harder than, than SpaceX is harder. Going. What he's done with Tesla is harder. The but boring company is harder. The boring now, company. Yeah. Like, look, I would have preferred that he buy Twitter and, you know, rename it the other boring company. Make it, like, <laughs> make it calm and calm down. And he decided to go in a different direction. That's Elon. He's much more complex. Phil, I want to make sure I didn't, I didn't accidentally insult you earlier because I realized what you're just saying. If you built a company and mm-hmm. you laid off 80% of people that worked for you, if that inevitability had to happen for business mm-hmm. reasons or whatever, yeah. I believe your company might actually still run. I also believe Tesla was built, you know, Elon came in a little bit into it. He built the company it is today. He made mm-hmm. a lot of, deci- he made nearly every decision, right? Same thing with uh, SpaceX. This is not a company, you know, he may not have invented the fundamental technology involved. He's not a space engineer. He made a lot of decisions and it's, he's responsible for, for good or bad or everything that's come out of that and their ability to perform today. Yeah. He did not build Twitter and he went into Twitter as if he had built it and thus intuitively knew everything that went on. And I I think you, I'd like to picture you going to Twitter having spent $45 billion, I'm sure you've got the lying around, and have uh, have bought it and gone in there and how you would have approached it, I cannot imagine would be be like him uh, at all because you didn't build it. You didn't build that technology. Yeah, look, obviously, so so I I don't think I would lay off 80% of of, of my staff. I don't know that Elon has either. We're not sure what the... That's why we don't don't have any idea, right? We know it's 50 Um, to 80%. Yeah. Uh, but but if you if you phrase it a different way, if you know if I was running something like Twitter and eighty percent of my staff became you know incapacitated due mm-hmm. to COVID twenty three or something, uh, would I be able to keep it running? Yeah, yeah, I would be. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, if you if and, you built and, it, and, I believe it. And well, but I, I mean, know, I, mean I mean, I don't think everything is irreducible or is non uh, or is uh, reducibly le- incomplex enough. That I think I think looking at Twitter from the outside, it feels very fragile. And looking at what and watching Musk tear wires out, it makes it feel very fragile. So if it's more resilient than it appears, that's great. And, and I don't want to dance on Twitter's grave because it's responsible yeah. for a lot of professional success and friendships and so forth. Yeah. But I also don't want it to. I think it's climbed out of a deep hole, and I don't want it to fall back into it, which is what it seems like yeah. he's leaping broadly into without a bungee cord. Let's say two quick things kind of structurally about this. First of all, large, you know, in some part, thanks to Twitter, not entirely, but in some part, thanks to Twitter, most things are worse, seem worse than they really are. <laughs> right? Like most things in, in, in life seem worse than they really are because engagement-based business models, ad-based, you know, micro-clicking business models incentivize everything to seem worse than they really is. And Twitter Old Twitter bears some of the responsibility for that. I don't think not as much as, you know, not as much as Meta or Facebook, but some. Um, 
And I think actually one of the things that Elon is doing, trying to reduce the the the, the reliance on advertising, is like, it's like a very good thing because like it, it really can like dial the temperature down because otherwise the incentive is to make everything seem worse than it really is. So that's kind of the first thing. And again, Twitter is now at the eye of the, st- of the Twitter storm. It's like all of the inflated drama is now being focused on itself. So of course it seems terrible. That's exactly what you mean. It's not saying it's not bad, but it's probably it's probably not as bad as it seems. It probably looks worse than it really is. The second thing is like, um, I don't think that Elon, I, I, I don't know him very well personally, uh, but I, I, I very much don't get the sense that he is a person that surrounds himself with yes men. Really? People that See, this very is much That's interesting. That wow. Okay. That's good news. That's a good thing. Is there know, somebody know, besides Jason Calacanis and David Sachs advising yeah, his, him? His text messages would not support your statement. Because he's in professional wrestling mode. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, his private text So he's doing a Hulk Hogan at this point. In, yeah? in <laughs> Privately and publicly, he makes the same um, kinds of statements. I know, I know, I know, you know, several people that, 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 that are relatively close to him and other companies. I know what he's built. You don't, you don't build, you don't return rocket boosters synchronized it's pretty know, impressive. back to I Earth. Agree. I agree. Being surrounded by yes men. You just don't. But that's the he's conundrum. Like, that is not Phil. a thing that happens. It's yeah. the conundrum about Elon is there is this amazing track record. And I really loved the manifesto he wrote for Tesla way back in the day. And, yeah. and and it's very impressive. But then there's this other guy, the guy we see on Twitter. Uh, and it's a it's like a different person. It's like a guy who's used too much acid and is confused and seems to believe his own story. And it's, it is possible, isn't it, Phil, that, that he's changed a little bit since... It's other? possible. I, don't, I wouldn't know. It's yeah, possible. I don't know either. It's obviously possible. But I it's also know. possible that it's going to be fine. Like yeah, I, I would. I want it to be fine because I'll tell you one thing, and I think everybody agrees. Twitter's important. Yeah, and and it would be a horrific outcome if somebody buys it and drives it into the ground. There's been some speculation. Wesley Faulkner sent me a tweet, or I'm sorry, a toot, saying uh, he thinks that Elon was forced to buy it. Uh, he knew the court was going to go against him. He was going to buy it, and what he's trying to do is get out of his debt by forcing a bankruptcy and a reorganization so he doesn't have mm-hmm. to pay back the debt. He's got a very large nut to cover, a $1.3 billion interest payment alone every year. So that's a, that's a completely out-of-nowhere theory. I don't know about finance in the way you do, obviously. But is it possible that that's what's going on, that Elon just wants to get out of this and this was the only way he thought he could do it? What's, what's the Occam's Razor explanation? God, I don't think this, you know, that's this, I wish the, there simplest, were one. the simplest solution is always the right one. But I don't know what the simple solution is. No, here's I, I here's the scenario that sounds like the Occam's razor to me. Elon, in a jest almost, and maybe in a fit of pique, said, I want to buy it. And then for 5420, the very fact that it was 5420 is the price, to me implies jest. You know, the 420 in there is a marijuana reference. Uh, that then somehow, this is the question mark. How did he get in this? He made an agreement with Twitter that he would buy it without due diligence, which no intelligent business yeah. person would ever, ever do. So I don't know what happened there. Remember, he bought 9% of it in, 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 and then in January and then in April went public with that, wanted a board seat. Twitter did not want him on the board. He got thrown off within 24 hours. And I think that that was what happened. I don't think he stepped out. I think he was thrown off. At that point, he got pissed off. Is that when he made this bad deal? In any event, ever since, within 24 hours, he was writing to his lawyers saying, 
hey, World War III is going to break out. Can we back down now? You know, he said, I want to hear what Putin has to say before we continue the purchase. Like Putin was going to create World War III and maybe we better not own Twitter. He was trying to squirm. He was, right? He was squirming. He wanted to get out of it for a long time. Uh, at which point, Brett Taylor, chairman of the Twitter board, says, no, we're going to court. We're going to hold his feet to the fire. He has an agreement. We're going to make him agree. Elon said, no, no, there's bots. He came up with all sorts of things. I think we were getting very close the day before his deposition. Uh, we'd already seen this tranche of uh, personal DMs that were not embarrassing to Elon, by the way, but embarrassing to every single other person who was, who was DMing him, <laughs> including Larry Ellison, who says, I'll give you a billion. And Elon says, can you give me two? He said, yeah, two, whatever. Uh, he, he raised the money. He went through all the steps. That takes some, you know, clout. That takes some ability. He negotiated with the Saudi sovereign fund. He negotiated with Larry Ellison. He got Goldman Sachs and a bunch of banks to give him a thirteen billion dollar loan, or is it eleven billion? Some huge amount. And then, but he wants to get out of it. He, I think, on the day before he's supposed to give his deposition, somebody told him. Maybe Spiro, his uh, personal counsel, said, "You're going to go. You're going to have to buy this." It's going to go against you. The court is pretty clear. The Delaware Court of Chancery is going to make you buy this for $44 Because at that point, he says, all right, I don't want to go to court. I don't want this deposition. I don't want any more DMs revealed. I'll buy it. All of that, is that inaccurate, Phil, that, that's, that, that timeline? That seems like that's pretty much what happened, yeah? Well, first of all, I own uh, courtofchancery.com, the URL. <laughs> you do? Wants it. I do, yeah. So. That's, a good, that's a good domain. When did you buy that? It's for sale. I think on the day, I think when, when Brett tweeted, uh, I'll see you at the Delaware Court of Chancery. Like, <laughs> Smooth move. So, so yeah, best, best offer accepted. That's good. Like, that's as good as three, as good as three Pete. Yeah. But I... Um, look, I, I, sure. Uh, I mean, some version of that probably happened, but you can all... But, like... I think there's a different Occam's Razor way to look at this, right? The simplest Good. explanation. Good. What's the simplest is, explanation? Like, Elon's kind of being obnoxious on Twitter because that's what one does on Twitter. And that's what that's what people are rewarded for on Twitter. And that's like the point of Twitter. And he kind of has that, you know, as part of his personality uh, traits. Um, he, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys are right. He probably underestimated some of the complexity. He probably came in there thinking, like, I build rockets that can you know land yeah, vertically back on earth like how hard could it be and i'm sure yeah. he, he underestimated it and he pissed a bunch of people off and a bunch of people quit and a bunch more people quit that all makes sense but at the end of the day he really did build these rockets that land back on earth and he really did build the car that i drive right now which is the best car that i've ever owned and it twitter like yeah it's 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 more complicated than he thought but it's less complicated than the stuff that he's that he's done before and I think there's a very strong chance that, again, with way more drama than I would have wanted to see, it's going to turn out okay. And if he can actually do some of the things that he's talking about, and, and of course there's going to be outages. There will be failures. There will be outages. But we, we all remember the We've fail We've had whale. the fail whale. We can live. We can survive. So, it. like, yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll, there'll be outages. And I think, again, I'm not guaranteeing this. I don't know. And, you know, I'm not a, I don't predict the future. I think there's a very strong chance that, like, in a, you know, within a few months, like, it's going to be better than it was a few months ago. And it'll be fine. Um, and that's kind of what I'm counting for because, like, I would try Mastodon, but I can't deal with another elephant app right now. So I need Twitter. I need Twitter to make it. You know, I you love know, that. By the way, I love uh, this. You're true. talking about Mastodon. I love the fact that some people have left Twitter for the Fediverse. Mastodon is just one instance, but the Fediverse. 
And those people are a certain kind of geeky, tend to be liberals, tend to be left wing, uh, and they're finding a home, and that's fine. And I would love to see Twitter. I think you're right, Phil. I think he will find a way to make this work. He spent way too much money. And so he'll find a way to make this work. And there are there have to be good engineers out there he could bring in. There may be a learning curve for them as well as him. Twitter's so important. My problem is that the hardest thing about Twitter is something, by the way, that they never really solved. Forget monetization, because advertisers are already going, I don't want anything to do with this. CBS came back, though, which is weird. Not yeah. as an they said they were gone. They were gone for much of the weekend. Yeah, which is like, that's like I mean, weird. That is like <laughs> that's like much of be, the weekend. That was a strange thing. Uh, yeah. I uh, took a nap for much of the weekend. I know. I know. That was really weird. Oh, we, yeah. oh no, we're back. But advertisers, yeah. by the way, are not doing that. I have to say, advertisers are leaving the tech sector everywhere. Right. So that's. I mean, we can't. We can't sell podcast advertising to save our life in 2023. So that's not just Twitter's problem. But that's also not my problem because Elon will figure out how to monetize or not, but he'll figure that right. out. I worry more about the moderation problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and what the problem, what is that old saw, you probably know this, Glenn, where you let one Nazi into your bar and then pretty soon you own a Nazi oh, yeah, bar? There's somebody, yeah, there's a bartender who told a good story about that on Twitter about, right, it was like the first one comes in and they, and they seem, they're there by themselves and they, you know, they don't make much of a fuss. And if you don't throw that guy out, then pretty soon you're a Nazi bar. It's like an inevitable, I mean, this is, this is all the, uh, the tolerant being overwhelmed by the intolerant, right? There's a whole political philosophy about how we should not, or, or an argument. I don't want to say a, a philo- uh, it hasn't been decided, right? This is a whole societal issue. Is is it better to let people talk and let sunshine in or to moderate, suppress, do other things outside of governmental approaches, not government censorship, to prevent points of view that crowd out other speech, right? This is always the battle we have is is free speech. When people are free speech, so-called maximalists, talk about it. They talk about everyone being able to speak freely, and yet some speech crowds out other speech, and there's no balance in that power. So I think that's the Nazi bar scenario. Is like if you let too many Nazis on a Twitter, and it, you know this is the thing. He's uh, like I think uh, unsuspending Kathy Griffin and Donald Trump and Jordan Peterson and a few other people all at once is actually sort of a masterstroke. If he had just done people who are right wing figures or people in a certain cultural matrix, but he let Kathy Griffin back on and she's over Mastodon saying, no, thank you. I'm not, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. Uh, that's a whole different argument about what he's trying to chart. Yeah. Out. I think Kathy Griffin was, was a throw in because everybody else, yeah. cat turd, and the bumblebee, cat turd, cat turd bumblebee, Very and important. Donald Trump, the yeah. big three, yeah. uh, those are all on the right-hand side of the uh, aisle. I think that that is not Elon. Elon's, I'm sure, not a right-winger. He's probably a libertarian uh, and uh, and probably wants the free speech thing. He likes that idea. But as he's quickly learning, free speech doesn't sell ads and it and it does, and it's a Nazi bar problem because and it, do, it doesn't comply to national law. Like they're going to have CSAM pro, CSAM problems immediately. Like this is uh, unless they have the staff in place. You can still watch the movie don't. Speed. I'm told on Twitter, <laughs> tweet by tweet. You only get a few minutes per tweet, but you could still do that. And they haven't taken that, so they're going to have a big moderation problem now. Maybe I mean maybe he's going to bring in a thousand new moderators and. It just or takes one a while. Good AI. It takes a while to do that, and at that point, let's say it takes him a year, which is a reasonable amount of time. 
who's going to be left and who's going to want to be part of it? Look, I think um, how much of the problems of the speech problems on Twitter right now um, would have existed, you know, a few weeks ago would have existed pre-Elon if the, the, the people who are making the problems were all incented to right now go and do, do the stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? You're kind of having two things happen, right? The first thing that, that happened is Elon took over and now every Nazi or anything else, like this is the time. This is like, ah, like this is my moment. Now is when I'm going to do this. Whereas before, you know, like their activity was spread out over the course of many years. Now, like everyone in the same week is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to make fake corporate accounts and I'm going to upload the movie Speed and I'm going to be a Nazi because like that's where all the attention is. Because then CNN is breathlessly reporting about how like Twitter is falling apart. Like if you were going to do on Twitter, you would want to do it last week because like the the eye of Sauron is on on you. (laughs) Yeah. So even if even if Elon had changed nothing. And it was like literally the same exact code base, which I think mostly still is. There's obviously some changes. Um, you still probably would have had the same, you know, the same problems. So the, your question really kind of decouples into two parts. You said, what if it takes him a year? It decouples into two parts. How long does it take for it to get incrementally better than it used to be? And I think, you know, every couple of weeks it can get incrementally better. And at the same time, how long does the does like the moment for the Nazis stick around because they're going to lose their interest. They're not going to like keep up this intensity of douchebaggery for the next year. Well, like okay. it's going to slow down. I might argue yeah. with that because we have uh, fans who have never given up after five years of trolling us. Uh, the people, of course. Who, the people who are into but, this but, are but very persistent and do not give up because they're yeah. nuts. <laughs> but, but but the people but the people like the people like posting you know movies and like doing yeah, that kind those of stuff. There's a lot of like away. those people go away, of course. But that's they, most of them. That's trolls. Yeah, uh, that's I don't know if that's them. most of them. I mean, who's on who's on Truth Social? I don't know if that's most of them. There is yeah. uh, there is a, a large contingent of Americans, about half, who um, are filled with hate. You know, know um, about that. Phil, you think half? half yeah, I think half. Hate? Yeah, I think half. <laughs> Phil, you know, you you uh, talk about well, he has put rockets in space and and revolutionized the electric car company, but rockets and cars are not media, and um, media is a lot harder than it looks, and Twitter is media, and Leo's right about the moderation problem. Yeah. Those trolls do not go away. Look at Four Chan. Look at Eight Chan. Right, Kuhn, yeah. right, right, and 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 so. You know, I think um, Elon has two personality failings that um, that he's always had, and they they come into uh, they come into this situation and kind of have bloomed. One of them is hubris, and the other is he really believes he huffs his own uh, smoke, and he really believes that he knows better than anybody around him, and so he tears it up. And then is kind of surprised at the mess he's made and calls them back. Um, he he essentially kind of doesn't know what he's doing uh, and is now winging it. And he may indeed be able to bring it back. You know, supposedly he's got this plan to create uh, a kind of Uber app, uh, X.com, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, so essentially you could, you know, what he may be thinking as well. Um, before you can create something, you have to destroy it, and that's kind of what he's doing. But it didn't have to be that way. And he's he's ruined lives, and he has uh, you know 
crippled careers. A lot of these people are going out into a market where they're, where tech companies are laying off, not hiring. Yeah. And so it's a, you know, he didn't have to be done this way. I saw a headline that referred to his brutal management style. And I think that that's, that's the problem. The, you know, the question becomes if you're a Twitter user, if you're a Twitter investor, yeah. if you're a regulator, does the end justify the means? And, um, you know, to me, it sure doesn't. I agree that it didn't have to, it didn't have to do it like this. Uh, I think he would probably agree with you at this point that he didn't have to do it like this. Uh, yeah, much more drama than you know than I would have wanted to see. Or, but, but uh, the separate question from you know is it really time to like write the Twitter obituaries? I, I I very much doubt that it's time to write the Twitter. Obituaries. I think you could. I think it if felt you like the, the Titanic obituary, on Friday night. I got to say, everybody was was yeah, saying yes, goodbye. Yes. Irish, and, and it, it was yeah, it, it was wildly it, it was wildly entertaining yeah. and uh, and both bittersweet at the same time. I can't remember. An evening on Twitter that I think was that <laughs> oh. affecting. And, yeah. and you saw Ryan Broderick and uh, Katie Nanopoulos from uh, BuzzFeed. Uh, they got they started a Twitter. What is it called? Social uh, Spaces. I that was the a name weird event with like yeah. twenty thousand people. So in yeah. the middle of it was fascinating to say Twitter's dying, but here's twenty thousand people right. who want to join a Twitter thing, and it mostly ran okay. And was I tuned in for I don't know twenty or thirty minutes, and it was. Wild! It was actually an example of the best of what Twitter has to offer. And Elon people, pointed out they had the biggest mm-hmm. weekend of all time. Yeah, I'm not Twitter. surprised. Every, everybody I know, but that's a rubbernecking. That's yeah. right. That's well, rubbernecking. That's watching <laughs> a car crash. Yeah, I mean, or people feeling like they're going to. It's like, why do you go to the speedway? People often go to the speedway to watch cars crash. Yeah. I'm really glad we had you on, Phil, because I knew that you would be the sense of the uh, voice of reason in all of this. <laughs> and with your experience and expertise, I wanted to hear what you think. And you're not an Elon Musk stan. Uh, but but I think you you're quite reasonable in this, and I and I hope you're right because I I t- I'd hate to see Twitter just turn into 4chan. I think that that would be a very sad end to something that was so vital for so many people. You, one of the things you were seeing on on Saturday and Friday was people saying, "I met my spouse here." Um, you know, some of the best interactions I ever had in my life on Twitter, and I you know some of the most hateful interactions I've ever had in my life were on Twitter as well, but. Uh, Twitter is important, and it'd be a shame to lose it. I feel more hey, that way about Twitter than I do about Facebook, for instance, which I don't think will be a oh, huge yeah. loss. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to the three of you if it wasn't for Twitter. Exactly, you know? that's how we got to know you. Exactly, I mean, we're, we're all most of the best things. Yes, yeah. yeah. Most of the best things that have happened in my professional life, and many of my personal life, have happened uh, in the last decade on Twitter. I've been able to change my career from being a uh, technology journalist into a 19th century printing expert, in part because of Twitter. <laughs> so, thank you. Yay, I'm sure that's a career direction I would recommend for <laughs> No, everyone. there's lots of, let me tell you, there's lots of money in 19th century printing research. <laughs> but Phil, I, you know, I think your points are really well taken and, uh, and you're the voice of reason. So thank you. you it, it is true that it's no surprise that there's a lot of <laughs> outrage and, <laughs> and storm and drawing associated with Twitter. That's what it was. But, you know, uh, Phil, I want to hire you as my therapist because you're totally, yeah, I feel much you're better. so calm. <laughs> I mean, I'll say, I, I've run businesses in which I've had at least one employee, so I feel very qualified to talk about an enterprise with 7,500, so I feel we're, you know, you're in a better position, but it's also, I think it's good, it's it's very easy, I think 
what we're talking about is an excellent example of that phenomenon you're describing, which is Twitter is about drama. It's optimized for drama because it's yeah. optimized for engagement, which improves advertising sell-through if it's not too uh, horrible, right? Advertisers mm-hmm. don't want to sell against horror, but they want to sell against a certain level of churn. And so I feel drawn into that because I'm watching every day this nonsense, people being late, the chaos. And I'm like, oh, but I can listen to Phil. And I can step back and say, you know, this is going to settle out or it's not. And I don't have to, I don't have to get all fussed about it. So I actually appreciate that very much. Thank you. We're going to take a little break and come talk about something of much more consequence. Crypto. In just a bit. No, I'm just kidding. We'll find something. We'll cheer you up in just a bit. Uh, great to have Phil Libin here. Actually, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about the history of uh, Evernote. CEO and founder of allturtles.com. But his, in his previous life, he was the guy who put Evernote uh, on the map. And, uh, and Evernote is in the news again this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Glenn Fleischman, he's in charge of fun at glenn.fun. And, uh, and fun and flongs is his motto. Fun and flongs. Yep. There we go. Yep. And uh, always, always a pleasure having you. And, of course, uh, you. my great friend, Dwight Silverman. Authory, A-U-T-H-O-R-Y dot com slash D Silverman. Both Glenn and Dwight use Authory to collate all of their many multifarious uh, work, which is really cool. Um, I didn't realize you also use it. And it, and it, it actually solves a problem that people like you, modern you know, journalists have, which is you're everywhere. We're gadabouts. It's gadabouts. Can I tell you a piece of irony is that I wrote my first article about link rot in 1997, and of course it was dead by 1999. <laughs> I could not get to the article. It was like, that's irony. The solution to link rot, authory.com. Uh, our show today brought to you by Zip Recruiter. We have been so happy with Zip Recruiter. Some of our best uh, staff hired on ZipRecruiter, because this is, this is what happens. Uh, and, and, and Lisa's the one who ends up, you know, suffering. Somebody says, I'm going to give you my two weeks. I got another job or I'm moving or whatever. And now we got to fill that position. And of course, the problem is the person who's filling the position, at least in a small company like ours, is also the one who's going to have to do the work of the person who's leaving while they're filling. And it's, we all wear many hats in, in a business like ours. And it's hard to find people fast who are great. Well, it was until we found ZipRecruiter. Now, when we need somebody, we go to ZipRecruiter. It's been our experience within an hour or two, we'll get great candidates. And let me tell you why this works so well. It doesn't matter whether you're hiring a civil engineer in New York, a pediatric nurse in Nebraska, an attorney in Colorado, or even a mascot in Missouri, if you've seen the ads, uh, or a continuity manager in uh, Petaluma, ZipRecruiter helps you find quality candidates fast. And the way it works is so great. You post uh, your opening on ZipRecruiter. Now, they're going to post it immediately to more than 100 other job sites and social networks. So you're immediately casting a wide net. But that's when ZipRecruiter's technology kicks in because they will find people with the right experience and then tell you about them so you can invite them to apply. So this is really cool because it turns out when you have a job opening and you're inviting somebody, you're saying, hey, I saw your resume and I think you'd be great for this job. Actually, ZipRecruiter did it, but we don't tell them that. And we think you'd be great for that job. That person is so excited to hear from you. They show up. They do the interview. I don't know if you had this experience, but ghosting interviews is a very common thing nowadays. You don't get that when you use ZipRecruiter. Plus, all of those people applying for your job, they don't come to your phone or your email. They go into the ZipRecruiter interface. You can screen them with yes, no questions, multiple choice, even essay questions. They reformat the resume so it's easy to read them. They do all this stuff to make it easy 
to hire fast. And fast is important when you're wearing many hats, right? Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. But I could tell you our experience has always been within a few hours, which is such a relief because now we know we're going to find somebody. I love Lisa. She'll post at breakfast and by lunchtime she's going, oh, this person's great. Oh, we got another one. It's such a relief. Try it free today. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. It is the smart way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash T-W-I-T. We thank ZipRecruiter for the job they do for us. We thank them for advertising on the show. And we thank you as uh, listeners for using that address so they know you saw it here. That really helps us too. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. The smartest way to hire. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. Uh, good conversation. The first kind of sensible conversation we've had about what's going on over uh, at Twitter. So thank you, all uh, three of you, for for your analysis. Uh, okay, we need a breather. <laughs> let me let me let me find something uh, not so uh, depressing and serious. I, I was going to say, oh, what about Fred Brooks has died? Oh, oh no, that's not the one. Let's not do Sorry. that. Greg Baird. Oh not, no. no. How about Elizabeth oh. Holmes going to jail for whoa? 11 and a quarter years. Uh, yeah, I had funny feelings about it. It's Me too. Weird. I, I've had a, I've had to, um, I feel like I've had a look inside myself because my reaction has been very schadenfreude about her, where I think that's unfortunate. Like, I think she did, you know, listen, the court uh, jury decided she defrauded people. I think there's a lot of legal things you could say about what she did, but I found myself having a little glee about like, oh, good, they got her. And then I'm thinking, ah, oh, this poor woman at some level... It was it, it. She she did cause actual or seemingly cause actual harm to people who got misleading uh, uh, blood results. Like she could have put people in danger, and there are issues there. But I also think she got um, she got disproportionate attention because of her gender, and I think it was there was a sort of gendered response to it. Um, she did lead a giant fraud, and she should take responsibility for what she did and doesn't seem to be able to. But I also I don't feel like I should feel great about anybody going to jail, especially when. You know, it's clear she has lots of it. the fact that she can't really see that she did anything wrong. That these that these things she uh, is a futurist who was too optimistic. I think that is a sad thing, not necessarily to be celebrated. Dwight, what do you think? Well, you know, she uh, I I agree with half of what Glenn said. She <laughs> she 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 committed fraud, you know, she defrauded investors, she yeah. misled people, she you know, to a certain extent she provided hope when there was no hope really. And um, you know, the the sentencing guidelines were what 11 years to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at that and I was thinking, you know, her her um, conduct was so egregious that I was thinking the judge could go 15 to 20. And so I was a little surprised that she only, and I say only. She got, got the minimum, um, I think. She yeah. got the minimum. Yeah. And, you Although, know, and to a certain, we should say the judge has discretion and can go lower than the guidelines. Right. right. She's not required right. to go uh, to the guidelines, case. but she did in this case. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. just so I look I at somebody that, like Alan Weiss, Weisselberg. Who was the CFO of the Trump Organization? Who got what six months? Well, he he might get a hundred days, I think, if he if he fully cooperates. <laughs> so I just uh, feel like for stealing. Just, I mean, for yeah, here's being to me in the rule fraud. is don't defraud George Schultz. Because <laughs> if you defraud the the biggest 
most important, most powerful people in the country. We're going to get you. Okay, wait, you want something fun to talk about? Is George Schultz has a tiger tattoo on part of his body. Because he's a Princeton man, as all yes, exactly. Princeton men. There's Do you don't wait a minute. Tell me you fun. don't have a bulldog on your butt. I, I have no bulldogs on my. Behind, wow, what kind yeah. of Yale man are you, <laughs> um, Phil? What do you think? Eleven years, out, outrageous or appropriate? I'm. Uh, I have really complicated feelings about it. I think it's. It feels unfair to me. Um, uh, it feels unfair, not um, not compared to other people that have been sentenced for fraud. Uh, you know, Madoff got 150 years and, uh, you know, Jeffrey Skilling got 14 years or whatever. So that, that seems in line. But it feels unfair when you compare to all the people that we know have done far worse that never get prosecuted. So I think it depends on the frame of reference. If you're, if you're, if you're comparing her to other people that have been sentenced for this kind of stuff, then, yeah, it's about right. But it's hard for me not to compare it to all the people that I know do far worse every day. And that don't get prosecuted and don't get anything. And I think in general, like, I don't like these, uh, you know, send a message sentences. Um, I think they're unfair. I think like what we should do is we should prosecute many more people. We should, get, we should be like much more consistent with prosecuting fraud. We should have much more prosecution on, you know, white collar crime um, so that it should be a predictable outcome of defrauding people. As it is right now, we prosecute very few people. And then the ones that we convict, sometimes they get massive sentences. But I don't, I don't, A, that doesn't seem fair to the person getting the sentence. And B, that doesn't seem like the right kind of deterrent effect. Because, like, I don't think most would-be fraudsters are deterred by, oh, yeah, this is the one in a million shot that, you know, maybe I'll get caught and go to jail. Like, if yeah, we the were, next Elizabeth Holmes isn't looking at this going, oh, well, I better not defraud anybody. Right. No, but if, but if, but if, like, if, if you were going to do this and you'd be like, well, there's a 25% chance that I'm going to wind up being convicted and going to jail for, you know, a year, like, I think that would be a much, much less of a deterrent. So it feels wrong to me and it feels wrong because... I know lots of people who do far worse and they don't get prosecuted at all. I hope you turn them in, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, him. Phil's plane has landed and now apparently he's in uh, Tokyo for the Cherry yeah, Blossom right. Festival. In the spring. So I, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, uh, that's great. Tokyo last year in February. So, right. uh, uh, and I, you know, I, we all have mixed feelings. Part of my mixed feelings are inappropriate, which is that she has a one-year-old and she's pregnant with another child. That's two yeah. children who will not have their mom. Now, will she do eleven years, or is there good time? Good, good time no, off. It's, for a good federal, it's a federal sentence. If she, unless her appeal comes in, she's in. There's no. There's that's no hard, in the federal. That, even uh, if she goes to the country club jail, that's hard time. Eleven well, this is federal years prison. of yes, your so federal, life. There's like, a yeah. Oh, sorry. There's no, a great Law and Order episode that uh, that a number of years ago that I always think about in terms of this when I try to calibrate my feelings. It's an episode that it plays on that uh, someone's kidneys are stolen and they wake up in a tub of ice, uh, urban myth, which circulates. This literally happens in the episode. If somebody wakes up, his kidney's been stolen and there's a bag of ice. And they eventually figure out that it's a guy, it's a very rich man whose daughter needed a kidney and he couldn't get one through a reasonable way. So he essentially hired someone to, um, hired goons to find somebody with a good kidney that was a match and then hired, paid doctors huge amounts of money to perform the surgery. And the great line at the end on the stand was, you know, Mr. So-and-so, uh, this time was a kidney, he survived. He's actually going to be fine, the person whose organ you ripped from his body. But if it had been a heart, would you have done anything differently? And I sometimes think that's the calibration factor is I think about 
homes and I'm thinking it does seem like too much. It doesn't seem like it has a deterrent effect. I feel bad for her children, her family, and the harm she committed. Did she, you know, was she out there actively killing people? Uh, you know, well, there's some arguments that there were so there were uh, adverse health effects that resulted from some people getting uh, bad test inf- t- test information. And the thing is, I think if a hundred people had died from this as opposed to that would be I different think that would be yeah, different. And I, yeah but i think also i don't think her behavior would have necessarily been any different is the problem well and, and if i'm sunny ball no remorse she is remorseless yeah. she was well because she didn't think she, it feels like she doesn't think she just this is what you do in tech somewhat i have to say somewhat our own culture is to blame because we lionized her and she was taught to some degree that that you fake it till you make it right yeah Absolutely, and that—that's I mean, how Steve Jobs made it. That's how Elon Musk made it. You—you you, just—you go and you go and you go till you—you make it. And sometimes you don't. I, I think I think there's two issues here that are that are that are separate. And so whenever I find myself having these like conflicted feelings, I try mm. to like figure out like, well, others is there more than one thing that I'm having feelings about? And I think in this case there are. I think like the real issue here is that this verdict highlights how few people get prosecuted for fraud. Mm. Like, that's the real... Like, that is more important to me than how much Elizabeth Holmes should serve. Because it's hard to... I guess because it's hard to prove. It is hard to prove. A lot of, a lot yes. of money went into this trial, that's for sure. Too. Yeah, yeah, for, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Um, but 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 that, but very, relatively few people get prosecuted for it. And, mm. and, and this, like, points that out. And that's, like, that's, that's, that's a big problem. That's separate from, you know, does she deserve 11 years or five years or whatever? And I'm like, I'm less attached to that position. I think personally, it doesn't really do anyone any good to lock her away for 11 years. Uh, so I would have done something a lot more lenient. But but I'm also totally happy to be like, hey, I'm not the judge. You know, this is the way the system works. Whatever. Let uh, me compare the reason it. that I feel it's... Let me, let me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your sentence. I said, no, the, the reason that, that, it, that it feels unfair to me is because it points out how mm-hmm. look at all these other people but who that's aren't justice, prosecuted at all. Justice has always been uneven, right? I mean, it's impossible. It's, it's, a, it's the nature of justice. You do the best you can. You can't fault a, a sentence because not everybody gets the same sentence. It's unfair. Some people get six months. Some people get 11 years. Some people don't even get caught. We do the best we can. It's a very imperfect system. Yeah, you can say that there should be, you know, more more prosecutions for things that are likely fraud. Yeah. It's, I, I think we could pull up uh, Trevor Milton from last month or six weeks ago, the founder of Nikola, who uh, was convicted of. I just want to. It's clear he's convicted of one kind of securities fraud and two counts of wire fraud, um, but. You know that was that is an amazing case, and in that I have no concerns about what time he gets put away for because the man is clearly uh, completely pathological. He's facing he twenty a, up to twenty five years with sentences. Yeah, in January. he's got a multi decade career of telling people all kinds of things, and uh, you know it's, it's a similar very, fraud except it wasn't health fraud. It wasn't nobody's life was endangered by Nicola. Yeah, I mean right. If the, some of the cars could have been dangerous if they'd actually worked, but but I feel like it's uh it was a more straightforward thing where I it was clear to, like I'm not always clear whether Elizabeth Holmes truly knew whether her stuff worked or not or she was being, you know, pushing the window, sometimes clearly not. And the courts found or the jury found that she clearly went too far, but it was very clear that Milton knew he was pushing or should have known like morally, ethically intellectually that what he was saying was absolutely false and it was intentional it was just such a it was a a scam as opposed to what i'm sure i mean i know that elizabeth holmes absolutely wanted to make that business a real thing meanwhile uh billy mcfarland who did the fire festival 
got six years and yeah. uh, and is in a halfway house now after four. Um, all the, although Ray Hush Puppy got 11 years, so there you go. Ray Hush Puppy. <laughs> what? <laughs> the same Hush week, puppy. Nigerian uh, man named oh. Raymond Olurunwa Abbas, a.k.a. Ray Hush Puppy, 11 years in federal prison. He was... Uh, he was a kind of uh, that guy. That yeah. guy. They got him I didn't, in I didn't Dubai and uh, and uh, and extradited him. He had been involved in mon- uh, vast money laundering, uh, uh, email compromise, bank heists, all sorts of stuff. And he got eleven years. I don't know. I think Ray Hush Puppy probably a worse guy than uh, Elizabeth Holmes. What what Where is the, the point go? of prison? Is prison to deter? Is prison to rehabilitate? Do you think Elizabeth Holmes will be Holmes will be a better person in eleven years from now? This gets in that whole. I mean, I, you know, I feel like the carceral state is a huge problem, and it feeds on itself. And we put people in jail to put people in jail, and it feeds the industrial prison complex. I think there's a whole bunch. But then there's you know there's people we need to be protected against as a society, and there's people who need to be protected from themselves. And I think the overlap of that is we throw many more people in the jail for reasons that don't make any sense and are non-productive for them and for society. Yeah. So, like, I'm not worried that Holmes is going to come to my house and steal my blood, you know? So does she actually have to be in jail, or are there other punishments that would serve a deterrent effect um, for her? But there are people who I am worried would break into my house and steal right. my blood, and I right. think some, they probably... There's some crooks. Can, I don't yeah, think Elizabeth Holmes is an is a ongoing danger to anybody. Yeah, I think that's the issue. Although, you know, then you have, well, I think, Phil, I don't, I wouldn't want to put this word into your mouth, but it's like Adam Newman is an example of somebody who Talk raised billions of dollars. Upward. Right. And then he's, he's completely successful in, but I mean, I think he's a true believer uh, in what he does. Absolutely. Religiously so. But how was he never, I mean, I don't want to make accusations against him. I've read books. I've seen things. It's like. I don't know that he ever did anything that is even technically illegal. I don't know. I mean, he's been charged with anything, right? The founder of WeWork, who, yeah, who so, uh, cost uh, Sun-San, Matsuyoshi's wow. uh, son, billions of dollars. A victimless crime. <laughs> and, and, uh, and really put the SoftBank fund uh, uh, in kind of jeopardy after uh, yeah. Sun-San kind of said, oh, I, I believe in you. Whatever it is you're selling, I want more of that. But that's the difference. What's the difference between, between Adam Newman and uh He's and worth $1.2 and just got yeah. a huge uh, gift from Andreessen Horowitz to, and, to do his yeah. next big thing. And again, I don't want to accuse him of anything. Like, I don't, I, I think the fascinating part about him is I think he did, he, he sold long and sold, or he's, he talked long and sold short. So he couldn't fulfill exactly what he was promising. But I think he did it in a very carefully done way that had a potential. I mean, after I read one of the really well-researched books about WeWork, I came out of it thinking this guy wasn't a scammer. What he was, was he had an arc where as long as he, this is shades of FTX and, uh, uh, Sam, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bankman, uh, Freed, Freed uh, yeah. Is uh, he, I think Newman actually had an arc where if you keep people believing long enough, there was the potential for profit to come at the other end of the pipe. Maybe not the way you I don't think so. Actually, I think uh, well, and, no, I and, guess you're and, right. And was, what about yeah. Travis Kalanick? So have you ra- you've raised money, uh, Phil? Right? You've gone to VCs <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're putting me in a tough spot because I, I know all these people. I know mm-hmm. you do. <laughs> so you can re- at any point recuse yourself. 
<laughs> but so, I'm just, just curious. Full is there, Sun Sun is, is currently a major investor in, 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 in my company. I, I worked for Sun Sun uh, when he bought Ziff Davis. Um, yeah, 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 and, and uh, I have great respect for the man. I think he did. was the victim, frankly, of Adam Newman. But uh, that aside, is there something broken in the way we do VC that it rewards people like Elizabeth Holmes? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's all sorts of interesting questions here. Uh, I mean, one, I think, just very basic question is where did the money go? Um, where did the money go f- with Elizabeth Holmes? Uh, where did the money go with Adam Newman? Mm-hmm. Where did the money go with SBF? And I think those are very different answers. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, really think, I think that answer is kind of important to like, determining the level of at least moral culpability mm-hmm. uh, of people. And as far as we know, and I think we know pretty well, like Elizabeth Holmes didn't wind up with, with a big chunk of that money. Right. Uh, Adam Newman wound up with some of it, significant amount, a billion or so. It's interesting uh, that Mark Andreessen would give him another $350 million. Well, but, 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 but seriously, like if you're evaluating, you know, fraud, potential fraud or actual fraud, like where did, where did the money go? Right. Um, I so think, the, you know, uh, Landlords, I think mostly, right? I mean, we yeah, were basically right. paid a lot of leases and yeah. that was... Yeah. Had a high burn rate. We work was a real estate business. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and the story and I understand, as I understand it, was the real problem was always going to be that he was making long-term deals for leases and short-term deals with his customers. Right. But where did it right. go with Theranos? Yeah, I always. Well, that's I don't a really good raised, question. This is it, the judge in the case. Remember, they were trying to get eight hundred something million dollars in damages. The prosecutors and the judge decided what was the number? Is one hundred and eighty million? It was something substantially lower. Yeah. Uh, like twenty two investors said they yeah. lost whatever, and I think it was because the actual scope of mm-hmm. they didn't spend as much money as it sounds because they had such a super high valuation it's that the I think it was, yeah, yeah, it was it, right. So his employee, so Holmes is the the loss there was right was. Uh, or the money was spent for employees and equipment and real estate. and But, uh, yeah, I don't feel like she – I'm sure she had some nice houses, but her family was very wealthy or somewhat wealthy to begin with. So. Yeah, as far, as far as we know, like, that money went to paying a lot of salaries for yeah. a lot of people and a lot of equipment. And, like, it wasn't – if there was fraud, and to some extent the court determined there was fraud, so that yeah. it's fine. There's fraud, there's fraud. But I think it's a very different type than what, what probably happened with FTX, for example. Where yeah. you know money was just outright stolen. Where is that money? The FTX well, money is like yeah, where I mean, is it, it all? It's billions is gone. Yeah, so well, and, as, and as far as far it goes, there, uh, SBF. It looks like now the latest is took three hundred million off the table in their last round. Yeah, so that's somewhere, was, right? Unless he, I don't know. That's a lot of beanbags. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what. That's somewhere. Out the incentives, there. though, you, you asked a very good question uh, about like what's what's broken about VC, and and, and I think like, look, I, I know you know obviously a lot of VCs. I, I, I was a VC myself for for for, for two years at, at General Catalyst. Uh, a bunch of people are, are you know friends of mine, and I think for the most part, uh, a lot of these people are, are, are generally good people. They're they're genuinely smart. They're genuinely good. They genuinely want to do the right thing. Not everyone, you know who you are. But for the most part, <laughs> they're they're not though. Uh, even thinking about, or are they? You tell me. You know. Um, do they think they're not trying to use their money to do good? They're trying to make an investment that will pay off. A lot of them are trying to use their money to do good. Really, uh, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But 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 look, here's the thing. Uh, here's this, like the main thing that I've that I've figured out. Um, the vast majority of people, myself included, will act according to our incentives. Um, so first, we act according to our incentives. If you look at how the incentives are set up, that will predict how we act. And then most of us, myself included, 
will act according to our incentives and then make up a narrative about why that action is morally sound. <laughs> yeah, that's how all decisions are made, by the way. Yeah, and, That's and, how and the that, mind works. Oh my you just, and that narrative is, is, is true. We yeah. believe it. We yeah, really yeah. do. Yeah. But, but, but it's not surprising that it just so happens that the morally correct thing that we tell ourselves happens to always line up with our financial incentives the vast majority of the time. So if I want to lead a moral life, which I do, the best way to do it, since I can't trust myself to not follow my incentives, is to make sure that I set up my incentives first to, 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 to go in the direction that I want to go. And, and not everyone does that. So when you look at how VCs operate, how, does, like, how do they make money? What's the incentives? Well, they make money by investing. They don't make money by not investing. They make money by investing. They make money by investing a lot. They make more money by investing a lot. Yeah. They make more money by investing a lot quickly so they can raise the next round, so they, so they can raise, they raise the next fund, so they could, you know, stack management fees and carry and all that stuff. Uh, it's and by the way, business. the LPs. It's a business fundamentally, right? A hundred percent. Almost all of the incentives are set up for invest, like invest as much as you can. Now, the vast majority of these people will do it with due diligence or what they think is the right amount of due diligence. And they'll do it because they genuinely think that, it, that, 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 that it's money making. But, but the, the due diligence is, is it, the question they're asking isn't this, is not, is this going to make the world a better place? Maybe that's a secondary question. The question is, is this going to make money? Is it real? Is it going to make money? Yeah. And you can say, well, but, you know, they should do a lot more due diligence. Okay, but most of the funds, like, you know, even that invested in like FTX and stuff, like those funds are actually doing great. Right, because like the VC model is predicated upon, for the most part, belief founders, and yeah, once in a while that's going to screw you. But the belief founders like tends to, in the past, have historically generated very good returns because you do get the Steve Jobs and the and the, and the everyone else's who like yeah, like to some extent there's a fake it until you make it, but enough of them make it and make it big um, that like that it's worthwhile. So like this this is the model the way that it's been set up and that's why when crypto comes along it's like the greatest thing that a lot of these investors have ever seen because the crypto comes along and they're like we need 420 million dollars and you're like for what well it, i don't know because no one knows what crypto is going to cost <laughs> like there's no like it's not like a SaaS company where you can kind of say oh you need this many engineers you're like i don't know and so the investors are sitting there looking at like, wow, I can raise an, I can write a giant check into this company, which means I can get my next, you know, fund, like all of that. Like, again, all the in incentives take over. So it's like it is a it is an incentive system sort of scamming itself, except actually over time, for the most part, it works pretty well. But then we pick bits and pieces to be like outraged over. Um, this is really interesting. I feel like. I feel like most of the time on this show, Glenn and Dwight and I, we're like uh, playing pool. And, and all of a sudden, Phil comes in and he's got his cue in a case. And he's opening it up. <laughs> and he's saying, let me show you how the game is played. Uh, I mean, seriously, you're the pro. You're the pro from Dover. You, came, you understand how this stuff works. And you've been in there. You've got that mindset. Um, so it's really great. It's really great to hear. And the other thing I like about you, Phil, is you're thoughtful. Uh, and so you, even as you're going through this process, you're kind of self-aware about what's what's going on. Do you, I mean, the problem with crypto, you know, if you're investing in it, is it's it's as purely a speculative investment as it can be, right? It's all a scam, yeah, by definitionally. Yeah, it's it, true value is zero. There is no value. You know, it's it's true value is zero. It, but but I, but can I tell you this? Gold is the same because gold no, has a small no, industrial value. 
when you buy gold, you're not buying it for its industrial value. You're buying it because, as a speculative investment, you think it's going to be worth more tomorrow because somebody's going to pay more, right? It's 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 not the same as gold. Um, and zero connection, like no connection to objective reality, is very different from a small connection to objective reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because honestly, like, if a stock doesn't pay a dividend, you're buying a stock in a company doesn't really give you ownership. Of, of anything tangible because, you know, without the dividend, there's no payback if the company does well. Even when you're buying stock, you're buying something that you're presuming is going to go up in value based on some, you know, the news or whatever. Um, so there's a, on all, and all investments are somewhat speculative. But well, you're saying stock, even, except even, in stock, you are, you're, you're, in theory, your value goes up if the quality of the pro company's product is good enough to warrant it to go up. There are other factors like the news, and there is speculation. But, you know, if, if I mean, look at Apple. Apple's products were lackluster and dying on the vine. Yeah. And Steve Jobs came in and made good products. But isn't that product. to some degree an illusion? Unless a company buys back its stock, takes its profits and buys back its stock, increasing your value, or gives you a dividend, the actual stock value is what investors make up yes but look at games look at gamestop it wasn't because their business suddenly was great no that was was a joke but but that's what i'm saying is that kind of even stock investments are somewhat in that realm of speculative but you made an excellent point phil the even the smallest attachment to reality is better than zero it's it's like a seed it's a seed and and everything else builds upon it there are no seeds in crypto yeah and you know if you buy pork belly futures you could wind up with a bunch of them on your front lawn if you're not careful (laughs) if you let the contract expire Uh, gold like yes gold you're not buying for speculative for its industrial value but there's only gold there's not like a gold two gold three infinite yeah. number of other things that people can invent to be gold. It's like, it's an actual it's a thing. thing that, there's, that yeah. there's one of. Yeah. Uh, a stock is, you know, the value of a company is the, you know, the current value given, you know, net present discounts of all future profits. That's the floor of it. So most companies are worth something. And so there's a floor because it is like the p- present value of future profits. So there's like a floor below which I would buy it. Right. Um, but because the there's price, some connection to reality. But the price of a stock often isn't related to that, right? No, no, no. But, but, but because there's a floor, you can do all sorts of financialization on top of it. Right. Because like, the floor right. is a real thing. Right. So you look at GameStop, which was, yeah, absolutely a meme stunk. Um, and, but, like but, what prob- <laughs> but what probably happened, right, is like it was before this, it was, it was actually undervalued because people were like, oh, it's physical stores and they're never going to do anything. And then it became a meme, uh, a meme stock and there was like a lot of activities and it settled into a range that's way off what its highs were, but also significantly higher than it's been trading it for the past, you know, five years before. <laughs> So, like, there is a, a – I, I think there's a big difference between, like, a tenuous connection and absolutely none. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. I think we kind of under underappreciate the, the difference between those There's two no things. floor in Bitcoin. <laughs> well, right. what is it? SBF had that great thing. Matt Levine cites it all the time. Matt Levine interviewed uh, 
uh, SBF on stage, what was a year ago or last summer, last summer, I think. And, and Sam was talking about, uh, uh, well, if you have a box and you have a black box and you put stuff in it and you never take the cash out, no one knows the boxes and you speculate on the box. And I was kind of like, what the hell? And Matt Levine's response was, you just described a Ponzi scheme. Yes. Like, well, it's not exactly yes. a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> like, oh. I mean, that was the classic moment when somebody, you know, the magician described how the trick was done, probably, uh, not for let's, his own good. We're talking end. all around SPF. Let's let's talk about uh, FTX and SPF in just a little bit. Got to take USA. a break. Uh, plus, I think Phil needs to find a new destination. What are you? Are you using a Han to do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Tell me about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a, you st- it's are you still problem. happy with the name? <laughs> Give you, I like the watermark you such a hard on time his screen. Phil is a good watermark sport. is great on his I, screen. I, I love the, the, the name. <laughs> you great. love the name. Good. All I right. Love the good. name. It's 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 it. People keep talking about it. It's, it's true. It's pretty. It's pretty fantastic. It's it's easy to remember. It's easy to. Pronounce. Oh look! Yeah. He's suddenly in his office. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Recording people back to the office. It's all about butts and seats, people. It's really yes. uh, your timing was very good, of course, because of because uh, of COVID. Everybody started to use Zoom and other. Apps mm-hmm, is for Mac and Windows, and it lets you, as you can see, uh, put yourself anywhere. But also, more importantly, maybe it allows you to do presentations, uh, which is great. I mean, that's that's very cool, and have over-the-shoulder shots like they do in real TV and and all of that. I, I have a good description of mm-hmm as an outsider, which is mm-hmm is OBS if OBS made sense to human beings. <laughs> <laughs> so for those That's of you who open, right. open open broadcast system, is that yeah. what it's called? OBS? Yeah. yeah. Which I've used and you know, it's like it's manageable and it does really unique things, but I feel when I'm done with it like I've like I've been uh illegally uh uh, engaging in surgical practice. You think you've been generating Bitcoin in behind the yeah, scenes? It's really. It's like, sure. hey, could I use, actually? So I use OBS when I want to do a Let's Play stream, which I do sometimes for the club and stuff. We play games. Could I use a Han to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to do that? Yeah. So I could you, put you, a picture you, of the game, and it'd probably do a better job. Come to think of it, there's a, there's a lot of stuff you can do. The the, the main idea is, uh, you know, it's about communication superpowers. I yeah. think. Uh, Mm-hmm. Is like, it's like a warm up to the rest of your life of not hating being on video. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the name, the name reminds me of that fictional search engine in The Good Wife and The Good Fight, Chum Hum. <laughs> <laughs> the M- Good Fight. May it rest in peace. Oh, what a great yeah. show! Huh? It was a great and, show, and a great show for technologists because they always covered like real, real deal stuff. You know. Including yes. probably kidneys in the uh, in, uh, ice-filled bathtubs. <laughs> mm-hmm is M-M-H-M-M dot app. Definitely worth taking a look at. And we're so gr- glad to have its uh, its founder, uh, Phil Libin. I do also want to talk about Evernote in just a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsor, Nareva. Now, we just talked about the video in your next uh, conference call. What about the audio? And I think everybody knows and if they don't you should know you can have great video if the audio is bad it's over game over man game over you gotta have good audio and nowadays this is problematic because you're hybrid work right so there's people in the office there's people at home in order to have a meeting you're going to have you know a conference call and that puts your it professional in a tough spot it means, you know, now you have to equip and, and support more spaces with audio and video conferencing systems. 
But, you know, you're also worried about the next, you know, email exploit, next spear phishing attack. You've got a lot of issues with network security. You Maybe you're doing your cloud shift, your infrastructure issues, and, and maybe you've got, uh, you know, you got uh, problems with the card key system. So who has time to work on the audio in your meeting rooms? Now you can do it, and you don't have to think about it. An intelligent product that requires minimal effort from IT to deploy and manage at scale with a bonus of requiring zero end-user training. And when it comes to conferencing in larger spaces, this is a great solution. You don't have to bring in some AV company to wire everything up and install it and maintain it and tweak it every single time. No, all you need is Nareva. With Nareva, you get true full room, full room mic pickup from just one or two microphone and speaker bars. Two only if you've got a giant room. Compare that to all the microphones and the wiping down and the putting of the muffs on and the speakers and the amps and the DSPs and the switchers and you got to tune it and all this crazy and the cost. Nareva, you can install in most spaces in less than 30 minutes. Ever put up a sound bar? That's what it's like. For larger spaces, okay, you're going to put up two, it's going to take you an hour. Amazingly simple, no special expertise is required. You can manage and deploy it from your seat. Adjust all your Nareva systems from their cloud-based platform. It's called Nareva Console. Completely scalable for large organizations, and the sound is great. Their patented microphone mist technology puts thousands of microphones in your space. People can walk around. They can move around. They can face any way they want. They can socially distance like they want. It's suddenly, it's flexible. It's easy. Users don't even have to think about it. It just works. Now, compare that with installations for traditional systems that could take your room down for days, cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and require the IT guy to come down. You need an AV squad, right? They're going to come down the hall. And now you can get 50% off on a Nareva HTL 300 system. That's perfect for a mid-sized room. Just get an online demo and buy before December 16th, 2022. N-U-R-E-V-A.com slash twit. This is a solution as time has come. The right way to do audio for your next huddle, your next meeting, your next conference, your next all hands. N-U-R-E-V-A, Noreva.com slash Twit. We thank them so much for their support uh, for the show and the network. They've been with us for a long time. We really like the product and we're really glad to share it with you. You do us a favor, though, and use Noreva.com slash Twit so they know you saw it here. Thank you, Noreva. Uh, I do want to talk. So what? tell me about Bending Spoons. Uh, filled. Who are these people? They just bought uh, Evernote. Is it is it kind of the end of Evernote? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, I don't actually know that much about it. It's been eight years since I've since I've been with. The I company, know, so the, but the, you must still. Your heart is still right a little bit. I, I left my heart in San Francisco, but I'm living in Arkansas now. Um, reward have found. Um, yeah, look, I. Um, I still use Evernote every day. I have a lot of friends there. Uh, it seems like a good outcome. Good. Um, they do, they bought Filmic, and they've done a, they, but mostly what they do, video stuff. So it seemed like a little weird. Was it that the owners just wanted to get out of from under it? Was it struggling? Do you know? Um, I don't think it was struggling. So I, I you know, continue to be a, a, a shareholder of it. Uh, but again, I've, you know, I made the decision when I left about eight years ago. Um, 
so this was in like 2015, I think, 2014, 2015, I decided to replace myself as the CEO. And my original plan was um, we'll get a CEO and then I'll, I'll stay on as like, a, you know, executive chairman. I'll do product stuff. I'll do like strategery. I kind of I kind of wanted to do what like um, Reid Hoffman did at LinkedIn. Right. When he brought when he brought Jeff on. That was kind of my model. And and I knew there was like a 50 percent chance that it would work and a 50 percent chance that it wouldn't because like, you know, you bring in a CEO, like what's actually going to happen is going to depend very much on, you know, the new CEO. Um, and so we, we did a search uh, and. It turned out within a few months of, of Chris O'Neill, who was the CEO who replaced me, uh, and then Ian Small uh, took over from from that. It turns out within a few months that like yeah, like me hovering around was just like way too difficult. <laughs> it was way too difficult for me, for the new guy, for the company. It's just like it just made no sense. And so I made a decision about eight years ago that like look, I'm you know okay, I, I got to be out. And I got to be out like completely, not like hovering around, being yeah. like, you know, I would have done this. Or, right. Well, you shouldn't really. Are you sure about that? Like, because uh, the whole point is like, of course, he would do things differently than I would have done them. That's why we decided to have him and not me. So I thought the best thing I could do was like, hey, I'm around for any kind of help if you ever need it. And um, I'm a supporter of the company and I'm a friend, but I'm not going to I'm not going to hang around. And what year was match. that that you kind of said, OK, twenty. 14 or 2015. Okay. So okay. it's like, there's a long, it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And, uh, Chris, I, Chris I O'Neill took over, uh, Chris O'Neill took over yeah. and then he, he was there for a few years and then Ian Small took over and he's, he's there now. Um, uh, Raul of Bata, who was the, the, at Sequoia, who was the, currently the senior shooter of Sequoia was, was kind of the main investor in Evernote when, when I was there and he's still on my board at, mm-hmm. so, you know, I've kept close to, to, to a bunch of the people, obviously still have a ton of friends there. Uh, and, uh, I think it's, I think Bending Spoons bought it. Like, why would they buy it? Well, they bought it because they love it because they yeah. think it's a great app and because they think they can make it, uh, even more successful. Like this is not a. You know, there's no like magical nefarious reasons why an app company would buy something if they just intended to not do anything with it. So I feel pretty good about it. But again, I don't want to I don't want to overstate my, my my level of knowledge or involvement. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think, you know, uh, boy, I was a, 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 such a huge fan of Evernote. Um, there's a I, I don't am. did you read the uh, blog post from uh, Hitin Shah, uh, the history of Evernote um, or maybe I you haven't not. seen it. Yeah. This was uh, it's I, I I recommend it. I don't know about its conclusions, and I you know without your input, I don't know if uh, he you know he says ahead of its time behind the curve. Why Evernote failed to re- realize its potential? He starts uh, with uh, Stepan Pachakov and you getting together, creating Evernote. Um, that's about when I found it. I had been using OneNote, and the thing I loved about Evernote was the ribbon thing that I think you brought to the table. This idea of this continuous note. Uh, I just loved it and uh, put everything in Evernote uh, for a long time. It was I, yeah. long after you left. It was, I think, when they went to the subscription model that I finally said, you know, I'm going to find another solution. And nowadays there are a lot of open source free solutions. This has become a very crowded market with a lot of different segments of the market. Note taking by itself is, you know, become, you know, Zettelkasten and all this stuff. But Evernote for years was great. Were, were you there when they did the separate apps, like the the Hello app and the Food app and all of that? Yeah. So Evernote. I loved that. Um, but then yeah, they basically we. Well, so it started. Um, 
there was a company called Evernote. It was, it was a different company. It had a diff, capital N, and its logo was like this, like flying toilet paper. <laughs> and, and, not uh, a great logo. Okay, good. All right. It's not, not the world's best logo, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that was started by Stepan uh, Pachikov, who is a brilliant, brilliant um, entrepreneur and inventor. Uh, and then um, I had just sold with my team. And, he was, and they were in Silicon Valley. I had just sold my, my second company in Boston and started working on uh, what I was calling ribbon uh, as a way of like a ribbon, tie ribbon around your finger to help you remember stuff. I also wanted to build like an infinite memory. Met Stepan and we just sort of really hit it off. Uh, and decided to kind of merge the two companies, and so we recreated Evernote because it made a new corporate entity that was called Evernote in 2007. No, no uppercase N, one word. And yeah, so so the the thing that the people and that most people know with the, the elephant, elephant and all the that elephant. stuff that was yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what we started. Elephant never forgets. Yeah, and uh, yeah, remember everything was the slogan. That was still it's still the best thing I've ever written. It's kind of sad for me. It's like the best thing <laughs> I probably ever write in my life is those two words. It's just remember everything. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I was there for the first nine years and then I stayed on as I think chairman for, for another year, uh, after that. But, um, yeah, we did, we did a bunch of different apps. We did a lot of stuff. I think we kind of made, um, I think we kind of made productivity something that was cool again. I think you were the, you really were the first. Yeah. I mean, one note was there, but one note was way too complicated. Yeah. And a bunch of people came after us, you know, afterwards. I'm I'm happy to see it. I think the productivity industry right now is better than it's ever been. And that's cool. I feel, I feel a sense of pride to having, you know, having contributed to that. This is a team. This is the page in 2008. I got it on the Wayback machine. Yeah, uh, this is yeah. the remember ever see the the cocktail napkin remember everything. <laughs> God, I just those were the days, you know. They've got Look about at twenty that smartphone people. in that image. Yeah, <laughs> this is when Twitter when Twitter was young, and the iPhone just barely had three G. <laughs> those were the days, yeah. my friend. Those no iPhone. Uh, yeah, this was the first iPhone, and that that shot was probably our web app because it was right before apps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, I think we had we had we we were on the App Store on the first day. Uh, yeah, we had a bunch of different different apps, um, you know, a few hundred million users, uh, I think, total. And then, um, uh, like I said, I, I my plan was to, um, I basically decided once we got to like I don't know, four hundred people, four hundred fifty people, I was like, I'm just not having that's that much a big fun. company, yeah, it's a yeah. big company. And uh, I thought I'm just not like I thought we could afford we could get a better CEO. Because the company was <laughs> I'm not successful. Sure that's true, Phil. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, and when you kind of, we talked a lot about being a hundred-year startup. I even remember right. that. I think it was on your show. I remember and the hundred-year the hundred-year startup meant like that we want to be around in a hundred years, but we still want to be a startup. We still right. want to be like innovating. Uh, and a big part of the hundred-year startup idea was like me getting comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to be the, the CEO for a hundred years. Right. Um, Obviously. So like yeah. it has to be my job to get the next person who's better right. or else, you know, we right. failed. So once that happened, it was, again, it was time to step away when it became obvious to me that having two people hanging around and like making top decisions just wasn't going to be good for anyone. So Evernote uh, is one of those rare apps that has, it doesn't have users. It has fans <laughs> and people will, Evangelize. I was one uh, of it, them. I was right, absolutely right. a fan. In yeah. in a newsroom, Evernote uh, in uh, the Houston Chronicle, uh, reporters who got into Evernote would like become pests. You know, they would come up to you and go, <laughs> "Are you not using Evernote? Why aren't you using?" You know, it's like 
it, it became something that was uh, evangelical, and there aren't a lot of apps that are like that, and Evernote certainly is one of them. Yeah. You know, the thing that was so great about it, uh, I don't know when this feature was added, but I feel like it took it to the next level for me, because I've been using it for, I don't know, eight or ten years. I was using uh, Yojimbo, a bare bones I used Yojimbo from, uh, from uh, yeah. Rich Siegel. Loved it Yojimbo. Great. It, it yeah. just yeah. didn't, I think it just didn't fit into their evolution, yeah. so I was like, ah, it's like yeah, Yojimbo is the thing that fit my brain best, mm-hmm. and so when I encountered Evernote, I'm like, oh, and I actually figured out how to export Yojimbo to Evernote. It was great. And I was like, this is, I need a junk drawer for my brain that matches my brain's internal organization scheme. But the thing that took me over and why I paid the subscription fee and still do is the built-in OCR where that was, you know, that was not unheard of at the time, but it was pretty weak in a lot of apps. You had to use, you know, Acrobat have a paid subscription to Creative Cloud. And now I feel like the pervasiveness of uh, OCR is especially Apple. The last couple of releases, I mean, they added this thing quietly where you could search in iOS 15 before the release of iOS 16, where cool. only on the search screen you could search for text in your yeah. photo library, but mm-hmm. you couldn't do it in photos. Then they rolled it all out. And this notion that all text everywhere, so in Evernote now, in my notes app, and photos, and almost everything I do everywhere, all graphical text is now. Fairly effectively searchable. Fairly effectively searchable. Say that five times fast. That is a that is a massive difference in like the history of humanity. Not just like I mean, you know, data is great to store, but we have so much data that's not in uh, entered text, entered Unicode, whatever format. It's uh, so anyway. Evernote. I felt like that was this big eye opening thing where like I throw a thing in there, and at that time it took I think a few minutes sometimes to do the OCR, and now it's essentially instantaneous. And I just have I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's just a seamless process across all these apps. Yeah, we did. I think we had a, a couple of innovations that are very much table stakes now. Uh, that, mm. that that we kind of we were mainstream with it first. You know, one was OCR. One was uh, just synchronizing automatically. Mm-hmm. Like it was the first time that I could mm-hmm. like put something on my Mac and then pull it up on my iPhone. Huge. Like I don't I don't have to like I don't have to like set up an FTP server, Mastodon instance, whatever they're called now. Uh, like it just worked. There was no like we were one of the first things that didn't have like the concept of a server. It wasn't the users didn't really have any like options like did you want to use USB to move things over or FTP it just it just worked um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff remember we were pre-cloud um, like it, we like the, 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 the ubiquity of the cloud kind of came around after we were a couple of years old already we had our own data centers just like you know Twitter apparently does like we had to build our own data centers out um, we were we were on the app store from day one we were we were kind of as every company launched a mobile phone and an app, you know, we had Apple did it and then and then Google and then Blackberry and Palm and like all of these, you know, app stores, like there was five apps that every device had to have like on it pre-installed. And it was always like Facebook, Twitter, a game, a web browser and Evernote. <laughs> we were like we were the default thing. And and those are all thing accomplishments that I, I feel great about. I feel great you about should. being part of that team. You should. Uh, and I think but like that's not enough. Now everyone does that, yeah. so it needs a new it needs a new set of innovation. Uh, the stuff that Bending Spoons did, did is like honestly, like I hadn't heard of this company before, but I'd heard of their apps. Yes, uh, and, me too. And yes. the apps are cool, and they're they're innovative, and I feel hopeful. They're beautiful. That, you know, yeah. they're going to like figure out the next the next amount of innovation. I mean, yeah. again, they wouldn't have bought it if they didn't 
if they didn't think they can do it. So, Yuri well, Geller would never have founded the company. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm all getting confused. So, so, so I was pissed when I, I was like, this had better be a Matrix reference and not a, not a Yuri Geller. Oh, oh good. Oh, oh, you're oh. right. Yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> the this bending of spoons in the reference. Matrix was real. So that's the difference, you know. Just want to point it was that definitely, out. There it is. Yeah, Look at he's doing it. it. He's it was, putting it, it up there. Look at that. Got it. How do you do that? Wow. Uh, it's definitely that's, a Matrix uh-huh. reference. <laughs> uh, I think they're too young to know who Uri Geller was. I'm old enough to know who One of the you know, downsides. My, the first of, book I ever bought. Sorry. The first book I ever bought on Amazon. The first book I ever bought on the internet. Uh, it was my first e-commerce purchase ever. It was in like 1994. Mm-hmm. And it was a book called The Truth About Uri Geller by James oh, Randi. Oh, my God. James oh, the Amazing yeah. Randi. Wow. James the Amazing Randi. Oh, yep. Yeah. So, it's all, it's, so, so when I heard Bending Spoons, I'm like, Better be a major. <laughs> I'm thinking they're probably too young to remember wow. Yuri Geller, who was yeah, yeah, thank, thankfully yeah. a famous That's psychic true. who did a sleight of hand thing that made it look like I, I can't bend the spoons here. There are fluorescent lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the. So James uh, Randi had this down- great quote. He, go ahead. You would just remember because Yuri Geller claimed that he was bending spoons. Literally, he would just take spoons. That was a trick. He was bending, but he's bending him with psychic powers. Yes. And James Randi, you know, showed how he was, could also bend spoons in all sorts of ways. Loved him, yeah. Uh, and said, you know, I'm not saying that, 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 that Ori Geller isn't bending spoons with psychic powers. I'm just saying that if he is, he's doing it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the great, amazing like, Randy. It's, it's low stakes. If you could have, if you had telekinesis, I just feel like those are low stakes. Bending <laughs> yeah, spoons. I, I would, I would come up with something well, more interesting to do. Feels yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Actually, like yeah. The problem with a loyal evangelical fan base is they'll turn on you. Uh, They can turn on you, and um, and you know uh, that's you know I think everybody who is you know buoyed up by these evangelical fans also realize there's a there's a risk, and I think that at some point uh, Evernote lost uh, some of its uh, luster long after you were gone. Well, um, I hope they find it again because it, it was a great program. It was way ahead of its time. And we all, you know, it's like your Palm Pilot. It, it's something that you remember and, and remember with love and affection because what it's a great like, product it was. Yeah, Instapaper. Remember all those? As, uh, Mark Instapaper. Armand, uh, you know, I worked for Mar- Marco for, uh, for a while. And then I bought a publication he great. started. And, uh, and um, Marco is a fascinating guy. But, you know, Instapaper was like this great. It was that that incredible era of needing to read things offline yeah. in a better format, and it felt yeah. like that. Also, it's one of those table stakes. You're saying is, is it's built in every, every browser brow- now? Yeah, yeah. every right. browser. But yeah. right. but it's like you needed this mass group of people who are loyal to specific apps, sometimes paying annual monthly or annual fees to get this very simple thing, readability. When well, one of the apps was readability, but then now as a this move towards greater accessibility, I think, across all platforms means that we get these these things. I mean, accessibility. I have a friend who used to write about accessibility and design, and she was like, "Accessibility is something that it works for everybody. For particular people, it may help them access information better or, or tools, but accessibility should be for everyone." And, yes. it, and I think it turns out to be, which is it does. Everybody benefits. Adopted. Yeah. yeah. Let me take Leo. Go ahead. Leo was was. Um, I want to go back to something you said about OneNote and that, you know, it was very difficult to use. Was OneNote the app that uh, that was introduced as part of Microsoft's push towards a Windows tablet? Remember those big... Oh, really? yeah. That was that right. where OneNote came from? I don't know, but to... remember Bill Gates was, for 10 years, flogging tablets mm-hmm. to, yes. to no avail. 
I'm sure you guys remember one year at, I think it was Comdex, when uh, they built houses in the parking lot of the Las Vegas <laughs> Convention Center. <laughs> and you'd go into the house. This is a big Microsoft booth. And you go in the house, and every room in the house had an actor with a tablet. You know, oh, my gosh. Mom was in the kitchen because it was, you know, a while ago. Dad was in the den. They had a, upstairs. The kid was upstairs, and they were all, you know, pretending. <laughs> they were using their tablets. And, and they was, were huge. It was they like, were like they were big. They, they were, were clunky. Massive. They were awful. Um, but, yeah, you're probably you right. The, that's probably one, I one note. I think that's where one note yeah, came yeah, from. you're probably right. Do you remember the story about that, too? Is Gates was totally behind it, but because of the siloization at Microsoft and the and the fiefdoms uh, that I think have been broken down a, a bit in the last decade, uh, that just before, I want to say, the launch of the tablet, if I'm remembering this right, they uh, the person who was in charge of Excel said you can't have it for, uh, you can't have Excel for the tablet. I wish, I, I was just trying to find the story. It's probably buried in a book somewhere, but it was, there was some, it wasn't sabotage, just like, we're not going to let you use the apps. Um, so that killed it. I think if Excel had come out in a Microsoft tablet, even if it was imperfect, it might have been its killer app for enough people. But that's and that, that company by VC. Yeah. Hmm? When I was first raising money from Evernote, for Evernote, I got asked um, how we're going to compete with OneNote uh, because it was already out. And I was, wow. how, do you, how are you? How are you guys going to compete with OneNote? And wow. I said, well, some people are going to need more than OneNote. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wordsmith. I love it. November 17, 2002, Bill Gates uh, announced OneNote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was a OneNote refugee when I moved to Evernote. I was just, (laughs) that was the solution for more than a decade for all my notes. Uh, Let's take a little break. We have much more to talk about. We have the best panel ever. So glad to have all of you. Dwight Silverman, Glenn Fleischman, Phil Libin. Our show today brought to you by Wealthfront, wealthfront.com slash twit. Wealthfront's goal, I, I'm really a fan of this company and their, and their thinking and their ideas. I'm very excited uh, to be able to share this uh, with you. Wealthfront's goal is to make building long-term wealth easy. And they do it now in two ways, which is kind of interesting. For a long time, we've talked about their automated investing accounts. They now offer high-yield savings as well. All within a wonderful app, a beautifully designed interface. Is your bank keeping money that could be yours? Yes, they are. If you're earning less than Wealthfront's, get this, 3.30% API on your savings. 3.30. Federal interest rates, of course, have been going up. You've heard that. The Fed keeps raising rates. That's you know means the banks are earning more on your savings, but they're keeping the money According to the FDIC, the average U.S. bank has only raised their interest rates to 0.21%. <laughs> you might want to check. What's that What's that rate on your savings account? Wealthfront is offering their clients a rate that's about 15 times higher with the Wealthfront cash account. It's easy to sign up. You'll get unlimited transfers, fee-free, love that, up to $2 million in FDIC insurance through partner banks. So let me re-emphasizes no account fees no minimum balance and it, and if you go right now to wealthfront.com slash twit a free $50 bonus with an additional d- deposit of $500 I bet you have that much in your savings account earning 0.2% or less don't let your bank keep the interest you should be earning move your savings to a high yield account like Wealthfront and earn 3.30% API 
Join the half a million people now who already use Wealthfront to earn 15 times more than the average bank. They're also great for investing. Wealthfront.com slash twit to get started. You said the word table stakes. This is table stakes. You know, investments aside, if you're saving money and getting nothing, go to Wealthfront. At least do that. Wealthfront.com slash twit. Your free $50 bonus with an initial deposit of $500 if you go to that address. Wealthfront.com slash twit. This has been a paid endorsement for Wealthfront. Uh, we thank them so much for their support. I have to say that when I read these financial services ads, there is, and we do it on the onboarding call too, there are several pages of things I can't say, I have to say, that's highly regulated industry. Compare that. <laughs> if I were to do an ad for, let's say, FTX, <laughs> compare that with Tom Brady telling Giselle, I'm in, are you in? Let's all get in. Uh, a lot of celebrities now regretting their association with crypto in general and, and specifically with FTX. There's a big FTX lawsuit that holds the celebrities' feet to the fire, which kind of surprises me. Uh, Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors, quarterback Tom Brady, his supermodel wife Giselle Bunchen, and Larry David, <laughs> all being sued for the ads they did for FTX. Now, I guess, is it true that if I had money in FTX that I'm out of luck, that I'm never going to see that money again? I think that's the case. Uh, although I heard over the weekend that SBF, Samuel Bankman-Fried, was going around trying to raise money to pay people back. Like, who's going to give him money? <laughs> that's the optimism. I, I thought, you know, I'm always quoting Matt Levine at Bloomberg because he writes a great column. Very good. Yeah, trying to describe the difference between liquidity and solvency, where as regards crypto exchanges, and it's a good read. And if I recall it correctly, it's kind of like, you know, if, liquidity has to do with whether you can, you know, redeem funds and solvency has to do with whether you can survive, uh, you know, more or less as a business entity. Uh, so if you have, um, I don't know, if you have a thousand dollars of assets that are locked up in illiquid, uh, then you may have a liquidity crisis uh, if you have to redeem a thousand dollars, but you still have the assets. So maybe someone will buy you, right? Solvency is you have a thousand dollars in, in uh, deficits for every dollar and assets you have. And there's no way you, you get out of that. And he's saying SBF and FTX and MOUSE all have, uh, you know, solvency issues. So you can't raise money into an environment in which there's no hope of ever getting an investor to get a return on putting that money in. They might as well let all the, the chips fall and, and if possible, buy, you know, the, the, the uh, Enron, uh, the guy who solved Enron after the fact, right, got as much money as he could for Enron shareholders, is in charge of the FTX. Oh, that's in dispute, too. He's in charge of the FTF bankruptcy, but there's a competing bankruptcy claim from the regulators in the Bahamas also. Oh, the, Lord. So anyway, but but uh, what a mess! You, you remember the Madoff thing? I mean, Madoff is a good example. Is Bernie Madoff, uh, you know, ostensibly lied to people about the value of their holdings, but he didn't necessarily lose all their money. And in the end, through clawbacks and an incredibly they were able to rigorous get a lot effort, back. yeah, yeah, I think people got almost. Uh, almost 100% back on what they initially put in. They just didn't get any return on it, so they lost out on the biggest expansion in value of their money over that period of time, you know, if they put it in the S&P 500 or anything else. Right before uh, FTX went insolvent and the, during the World Series, the umpires' uniforms actually had oh. FTX. Jesus. You know, it, he said, well, I'm going to buy the people they trust. The umpires had FTX. <laughs> Everybody loves an umpire. Oh, 
my God. <laughs> By the way, Phil has moved north a little bit in Japan. He's in now in Nagano. Uh, taking a hot tub with the monkeys, apparently. <laughs> By the way, apparently, you know, so many tourists were bugging these monkeys in oh, yeah. these uh, hot springs that they've gotten very cranky and they do not like their picture taken. So do not wake that one up behind you, Gilly. Don't get too close. Don't Phil, get yeah. too close. They're very. I'm going to try to, I'm trying to moderate my comments. The, <laughs> the umpires are not being sued. But everybody else is, including Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, Shaquille O'Neal, Kevin O'Leary, the host of Shark Tank. All of them did ads for FTX. Well, the Larry David ad was like... I think he's off the hook because he said no, yeah, right? It, yeah, right. And right. they said, don't be a Larry. <laughs> oh, he, literally said, I haven't seen, he literally said, I said, don't invest in this. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> and they're like, don't listen to him. I don't know. <laughs> don't listen That's to great. Larry. That's great. So there is a history. I didn't know this, but Jeff Jarvis being the, I guess, antiquarian that he is, uh, reminded us that this has happened before. Pat Boone did ads for a zit cream that he claimed his daughter had used to clean <laughs> cleaned up her skin, got sued, and was forced to, to pay over a lot of money, a settlement, oh. and to make a public apology. Uh, this is there is apparently some burden upon celebrities. I did not know this, and from now on, I'm going to be. I promise, Your Honor, I'm going to be very careful uh, <laughs> that they are responsible for their endorsements. I, I got a good story about that, which is that I believe that if you endorse certain kinds of products, you're supposed to possess or have tried them. So that's the that's the rule. The, yes. Right. So I had a friend, a friend of a friend, uh, had, was uh, so actually they made three friends away. A friend of mine had a friend. Whose friend was dating Tom Bosley's daughter, and Tom wow, Bosley was talk the, about a brush with fame. There we go. That's Holy like three cow. people away. And Tom Bosley was the glad trash bag spokesperson. And so this friend of a friend was over visiting his friend and Tom Bosley's daughter, and they opened the garage, and it was packed, packed with boxes of glad trash bags. I I'm use like, them. I this use is them. Great. No he walks the talk. He talks yeah. the walk. No, we uh, the FTC tells us. Uh, and I actually, uh, you know, when I, I, I've, I'm leaving the radio show, but when I worked for, I still work for them, but uh, when, uh, working for Premier, and uh, that's the iHeart folks, I actually had to take every year uh, a fabulous flash-based ethics slideshow. Uh, and uh, talking about the FTC rules, I cannot endorse a product I don't use. Um, now, this is interesting because that ad I just did says... The SEC rules specifically say you cannot be a an, an a user of the financial instrument that you're. It's very weird. Um, I cannot say I recommend them. I cannot say I am a client. Uh, and 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 now they've added this. This is a paid endorsement. I think everybody's very nervous uh, right now. But but every other product, when I say I use, if I say I use it, I use it. Uh, we're very we're sticklers about that, and we'll have people say, "Can Leo endorse, you know, this uh, e-bike?" And Lisa will say, "Well, not unless he uses it. He can't." Are you going to send us one, and he's going to try it out and give you, a, get, and let you know then? And then they go, "No," <laughs> and we say, "Well, FTC rules prohibit uh, an endorsement." So I don't know these guys. I mean, what would it take to to use FTX? You'd just buy a thing. What is it you're buying? FT tokens? Well, know. didn't isn't that part of the uh, alleged uh, dispute between Tom Brady and uh, Giselle that he put a bunch of more money into, or do they both agree to do that? There was some story that came out 
the veracity of which I I don't I'm not able to personally confirm. But, they are now divorced uh, or divorcing. Yeah. But so there, you know that's a strain. If you put hundreds of millions of dollars into something, it loses a lot of value. That possibly has an effect in America. Yeah. that's what was going on. Um, I don't know what this how this case will uh, end up, but uh, and it's not the FTC. It's a it's a class action in federal court mm-hmm. um, for now. For now, uh, I don't know how I don't know how it'll end up. I mean, it'll Pat end Boone up as an HBO movie. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't. You know who's got the. You know who's got the story that you want to option. By the way, if you're a major Hollywood producer watching this show, as many do, uh, you got to go to uh, uh, Lewis, Michael Lewis, because he's oh, been man. interviewing he's SPF. Him. He's been yeah. doing. And he's got the best end now for us. <laughs> isn't he in the shopping the movie rights right now? I oh, thought that was guarantee the, uh, you. He's. I mean, he hasn't written the book yet, but right. Uh, no, it's uh, many Michael he, Lewis books have made excellent movies already, including The Big Short. Is, and, Has uh, anyone had his? Yeah, yeah. What was the baseball film that they? Uh, oh, did? oh, uh, it's wonderful. Moneyball. 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 That's great. Love that is him. a great film. Yeah. But- has anybody had better timing than him? And you have to say, so that's me being, I don't think he was just lucky. I think he obviously had a sense of, he has a sense of impending doom. He's a good <laughs> journalist, good right? He knows yeah. who, to, who yeah. to follow. I mean, because um, when he wrote Moneyball, that was just before the entire baseball world kind of like like turned around sabermetrics, right? Like it was, he was there at kind of the inflection point happening um, as opposed to like, you know, three or five years after it did. Yeah, according to theankler.com <laughs> I don't I don't know the reference uh, but I feel like it's a Hollywood reference uh, Hollywood is frenziedly frenziedly trying to get Michael Lewis to option his book gotta be millions <laughs> gotta be millions I remember uh, for a long time uh, was a friend of a big Hollywood producer uh, at Trigger Street and uh, he told me this story. Actually, I think he told us on one of one of the shows. He was the guy who um, uh, was uh, uh, got House of Cards for Kevin Spacey. He was Kevin Spacey's uh, producer. Oh yeah. Uh, he told us the, the story of the Kevin Spacey of how they got uh, House of Cards. Uh, some other big company had already bid, bid money, and uh, and Dane uh, got on the phone. Dana Bernetti got on the phone with Kevin. Said, "I want to, We got to buy this for you." You know, and 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 talked him out of it. I think they'd already sold it to HBO, and he got Netflix to to talk him out of it. Anyway, he told me he was watching TV, saw the CNN story about the pirates taking over that uh, you know Captain Phillips uh, uh, freighter, and the rescue, and the Navy SEAL Team Six coming and saving him. And he says, "I was on the phone <laughs> instantly." <laughs> and of course, he made a great movie, Captain Phillips. I'm the captain now. Uh, so that is, you know, the Hollywood jumps on these things. They're looking for this. And what a great story this is going to be. I only hope that uh, the producer, who should produce, David Russell, who should produce this SBS movie? What should it be movie? called? What should it be called? That's a good. Hmm. The bigger short. Wait a minute. Where'd you end up now? You're in Norway? <laughs> Where? It's a long show. It's a long show. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's traveling the world. Uh, oh, I I've got it. Wait, I got the title: The Funny Money Ball. Funny Money Ball. <laughs> the big hair is not bad. The big hair. The big hair. Not bad. Not SBF. Bad. Uh, you know, it's funny because well, the first time I got him on my radar, I thought this guy, just like you do with all these guys, we really worship these guys, don't we? I thought this guy's a genius. Me? He comes out of Stanford, runs a hedge fund, and then says, "Wait a minute." 
and and he was the whole uh, effective altruism thing he was doing where he put his money into good causes and I thought this guy's incredible boy well yeah, this is this is seriously incorrect he's MIT not Stanford oh okay MIT pardon me uh, completely just <laughs> let's get that right yeah are you a Stanford grad I'm thinking no I'm not <laughs> okay I'm not. Uh, <laughs> But a young wunderkind who ended up being, you know, he's he's the, look at, he's my daughter's age. <laughs> That's what really hit me. Uh, he's and uh, he was worth at one point, I think, ninety two billion dollars, ninety two billion dollars yeah, in no, funny money. No, he, no, he wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out, no. Um, big donor to the Democratic Party, second largest donor to Joe Biden's twenty twenty campaign, yeah, personally donating. $5.2 million. I've seen some people questioning, should the Democrats be returning money they received from him, given the money was probably, in, you know... But it's been spent. Mingled with. It was spent on TV ads. How do you return yeah. it? Yeah, well, you just take it from other money. <laughs> you raise you, other money to repay that's it. That's right. You raise other money. It's a funny... Yeah. It's, we did this... I mean, you know, talking back to Elizabeth Holmes, like all these people, I, I think there's a desire in uh you know celebrity technology journalism right is we have a desire to anoint one person um as the savior of humanity and who has all the right ideas about x and elon musk has filled a really big part of that since steve jobs uh left us we have uh elon musk fills so many different pairs of shoes yeah. there yeah and uh holmes was that remember holmes that famous story where she was on the cover of uh the t section of the new york times written by uh, Mark Andreessen's wife, if I recall, oh in a slight conflict of interest that wasn't yeah. disclosed. Yeah. It was later disclosed. I think yeah. it came out, but um, it wasn't Was that before she started everyone. talking like this, or was, was that oh, after? But it's the same thing, you know, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried showing up on, uh, on covers, and it's like, I, this is what, having lived through multiple waves of, uh, of you know, implosions in the market, I feel like one of the things that was different in say 2007, 2008 and is different now is that companies uh, made real things and uh, had real revenue. And so when things went a little awry, they had something to fall back on like actual business. And then the crypto market just sort of turned that back. We were kind of round, wound the clock back much worse to 2001 era where companies were i mean this goes to that substantive thing you had companies like pets.com that were shipping 20 pound bags of uh, <laughs> kitty, litter. kitty litter by the way for, they for just did it too it early because we now buy bags of kitty litter uh, oh, I know. through the mail we have a whole subscription plan for kitty somehow litter. this is efficient yeah somehow, somehow got this efficient. Is efficient so just yeah. to be clear sbf was born on the campus of Stanford University his, his parents are both Stanford professors his parents are professors at Stanford Law Hilarious. School and he went to math camp but MIT MIT owns yeah. him you're absolutely ah. you're absolutely right look I, I don't think we should like uh, to me so uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes actually pitched me when I was a, when I was a VC oh really mm-hmm. yep and uh, I thought she was great uh, she, I did not pick up any red flags. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting! Uh, wow. She, I thought her voice sounded perfectly normal. She would talk she was, like that then, or would she? She, I, I picked up no. I usually have a pretty decent, I think, like bullet filter. I was very impressed with her. Just being honest, it'd be easy for me to be like, "Hey, I knew something." No, was but off that's right away. reasonable because mm-hmm. what she I was, did not. if she, what, what you didn't know, what apparently yeah. George Schultz didn't know, is whether the technology was viable. But the idea. Right. Idea was great. The idea was great. World changing and could have been a huge success. Why didn't you invest? 
Uh, well, uh, I was thinking about it. Uh, they were, you know, they were already uh, at like nine billion valuation, so it would have been a very large check. Mm-hmm. It would have been my first like very large check, and I thought, well, I don't really understand how the technology works, and so I'm not really smart. Well, I don't know. I can't really do it. That's but smart. but I was going to do it. So I said, can I see? You know, can I come over? Can I see the machine? We uh-huh. explain it to me how it works. And they were like, yeah, of course, absolutely. Like, come over anytime. We'll open it up. We'll show you. And then. It just it just never quite got scheduled, uh-huh. and then they already wound up taking more money, and so I I kind of missed the boat, and I felt bad, honestly, I felt bad. I was like, oh man, I moved too slow. I'm not a good VC, which turned out to be true for other reasons. But like, I kind of thought, <laughs> like what? Like I should have just invested. I had this opportunity. Everyone wanted to be in this deal. She would have given it to me. I could have just written a check, and and I didn't because I was too slow. Because I had this like I wanted to see it. What would that have shown me? Like. Let's say I showed up. Let's say they scheduled it, and I show up, and they open the machine. There was like a family of raccoons in there. But I've been like, aha. They might be good at blood assaying. Well, and, yeah. and notice, by the way, that everybody on the board, nobody had expertise in the field, right? They were very careful about choosing Mad Dog right. Mattis and George Schultz, yeah. inf- Henry Kissinger. Influential people, but people who could but, but, not but, look but at they that had, they had a lot of They had a big DOD business. It made sense that those people were yeah. on the board. Again, yeah. like I looked into it. They, had, they did a lot of business with the Department of Defense. That was their first customer for years. So it made total sense that they had DOD people. Wow. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm telling a story to say that I was impressed with her. The stuff that I checked out, checked out, and I regretted that I acted so slow that I didn't invest. And I regretted that for three or four weeks until the scandal broke. <laughs> and then I stopped regretting <laughs> Then that. John Carreyrou came calling. This is but, 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 but that's what happened. And so, like, I can, like, there, but by the grace of not responding to my emails in time, that would have been me. Yeah. This is totally different with about, SBF. Yeah. That guy set off every single you, bullshit. You knew. You had. knew. You would if you weren't. You weren't asked to invest, or were you? I was not a VC at that point. Yeah, no, I was not a VC at that point. But I told a lot of people. Had he come in the door, uh, you would have known. No, I, no, I've been pretty public in my in my loathing of, of crypto. Yeah, for for years, and uh, and SBF was worse than average. I, so I guess, here's look, a question. I, I don't like like you know. Here's something Obviously. I've been I've been wondering about. I think if <laughs> even if you're if you're if you're a crypto partisan, uh, you would be not would not be unreasonable to say, well, look, these are this was a scammer. This has nothing to do with crypto. Uh, the collapse of Bitcoin to sixteen thousand dollars hurt a lot of companies that were over leveraged, but it isn't an it isn't a black mark on the overall technology. Or is it? And that's kind of it the is. question. It, it is. is. It is. And as I said, the, the, the true value of any of these is zero. And anything that you uh, put into it is on top of zero. And so it, at, its, at its core, it is a scam. And eventually, all of these people who are running these big exchanges are going to, uh, I think, are going to come down. I think this is just the first. It's not the first, but it's the biggest. Yeah, I, I think there's still going to be a place for stable coins, which are a whole different thing, but not run by third parties. I yeah, think, we talked know, central, about stable coin or banks. governmental central yeah. bank coins, uh, well, digital those, dollars. Those are totally different things, though. Yeah, exactly. They're barely. Thing. I mean, right? They're not. No, they're no, not stable coins. Are bull- uh, stable coins backed by. I'm sorry, not stable coins backed by other. Well, uh, a number parts of, of crypto <laughs> I gotta say, a number of stable coins have collapsed. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't mean. So uh, I don't mean like uh, uh, tether or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, although. It's, it's see. This is the complicated thing. Is I think that tether, if they actually had, uh, see, it, I mean, this is where you get to the the um, 
uh, layers upon layers upon layers. Like, what was Tether actually? What is Tether actually what is still it, doing? What, what is assets? what is this stablecoin? To tell us I mean, what it is. It's supposed to be like a crypto reserve currency that you actually have, or, or a gold standard style currency where you actually have a one to one valuation that's of assets, or as close to one to one that was possible. That's backing a similar amount of ostensible buying power in fiat currency. I mean, that's that's the intent. And uh, Tether had claimed for a long time, and then had to change those statements and is in the midst of a lot of things that they actually had deposits that were actually liquid or close to as liquid as possible, you know, cash and cash equivalents, equal to the amount of tether they'd issued in, you know, various currency denominations. I could see a central bank doing it where the central bank was using it as a, but it's not a stable, the question is, is it a stable coin when a central bank uses a cryptographically backed method of uh, of issuing currency or allowing currency to trade? They do it now. They just do it as, as an entry on a ledger that they retain that, you know, the Fed or something uh, manages. And not really blockchain either. Like, so yeah, I, guess look, I feel the same way. Records, right. I feel the way about financial instruments that have the word stable in their name. Mm-hmm. The same way that I feel about seafood restaurants that have the word fresh in their name. That's good. <laughs> like, Don't order seafood in Colorado. In yeah. Colorado you're, and, you're, uh, you're trying too hard. Yeah. Like, you're, just, you're trying too it's hard. It's fresh. Yeah, fresh. So, so that stuff is like what you're talking like, central bank digital currencies. Yeah, of course. Of course. That's a better show. That's a better. Yeah. Um, They probably shouldn't be blockchain based. Blockchain is kind of stupid for that. But no, I think I mean, right. Blockchain requires I'm interested still in private blockchains where you have participants who all have uh, are staked against each other, where it's not a arbitrary, anonymized participant based thing. But I think there's I think there's a valid case to be made for using i mean like so dns which is a very technical thing obviously um but at its root i think dns is a very effective distributed mechanism with certain centralized components that a lot of different often uh, parties that are in, in disagreement all agree to let run in a way that's verifiable so like dns sec like the some of the cryptographically backed elements of dns that have been gradually built up over the years are really effective centralized decentralized things and so i th- say we do have models of that or, or even certificate authorities revocation of certificate authorities all that kind of thing those systems work they're cryptographically based and you have lots of parties whose interests aren't entirely aligned uh, or the same modes of governance of countries and so forth and it all generally works most of the time in a way that we find effective yeah so look i i um before Evernote, I ran a company called Core Street. We were uh, back when crypto meant cryptography, so we, we were a cryptography <laughs> company. We sold, you know, pub, PKI, public key infrastructure sure, systems, yeah. to, to governments, to defense departments, to large banks, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, of course. Like obviously, there's like all sorts of digital systems that all sort that have been around forever um, that that are continuously improving. They just don't have anything to do with this like blockchain nonsense yeah i mean I, the only reason i i don't see i don't want to say the only reason i like the blockchain i say that and then that's the last thing anyone hears right the the thing <laughs> that i find appealing about the notion of a blockchain is a way to create uh a permanently you know a permanent record that's globally accessible in a fashion but i don't think it actually has a role in necessarily like financial transactions or yeah. um the way it's been deployed i think i think it is an interesting thing to i think just think of it as a, a decentralized database there are lots of ways of doing that. 
but that you can rely on, that you know, tamper, like, we have very is few ways really you can assure things. Is it really tamper-proof, though? Well, it's not, been tampered with. Yeah. Not, it has uh, been tampered with. Not really. I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, right, yeah, so. Who would tamper with, a, with crypto or a Web3 yeah. thing? Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would. Exactly. What would the incentive It is the most tamperable <laughs> thing in the universe. It, it's tamperable. Nothing nor is, is, tamper nor is it fully anonymous, right? Yeah. Uh, not fully. It's de-anonymized. Web3, Web3 is basically, if you look at the ingredients list for Web3, it's like, 80% greed, 20% ideology, and like n- tiny amounts of interesting technological ideas. And by tiny amounts, I mean like 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 this was processed in a facility that also handles nuts. <laughs> Ace amounts of like interesting technology. It's funny you should say that because I always think of it as a thin layer of peanut butter. Yeah, on, it's on like, anything. I don't, like, yeah. like yeah. there's really no peanuts in there, but there were peanuts like two months ago in the same conveyor belt. Phil, if you keep up this attitude, I don't think you're ever going to invest the next Theranos. I don't think they're going to ask you. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of the, you know, and like, so the 80% greed, whatever, that's, that's, I don't need that. The 20% ideology is some of that ideology, not all, but some of it makes sense to me. Like some of it I like. I've, of course, like traditional financial institutions tend to be pretty exploitative and like, yeah, we need, we need non-exploitative financial institutions and all sorts of stuff. Like I, 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 I can get behind most of the ideology behind crypto and Web3. Not all of it, but most of it. A lot of it is just sort of libertarian fantasies, but, <laughs> but, but I can get behind most of it. I, it makes but, me nervous that it's, it's really uh, Andreessen Horowitz's vision for the future of the web. I don't, I don't, you know, that kind of bugs me. It seems like A16Z is who's going to make the money on this one. Well, it ain't playing out very well, so they, they may... Web3 is going just great. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> have you seen Twitter is going just yes. great? I hope that's a yes. new... Yes, also on, based on the Molly White <laughs> very, uh, timeline technology, which is fantastic. Mo- Molly White, one of, my, one of my favorite new people to, to have found she in the past, is, like, six months. Isn't she amazing? Fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Really so good. she did, just for those who don't know what we're talking about, we've mentioned it many, many times, Web3 is going just great, which is <laughs> a tragic... Tragic, so but if you look at the bottom on the right right hand corner, it shows you how much money has been burned. Oh, actually, I have to change the setting. Uh, start at total amount scammed and subtract as you scroll, or start at zero and as you scroll. That's oh, the so called grift counter. Uh, maybe my grift counter isn't working because by now it should be in the billions of dollars. So somebody has created using she open sourced the uh, the timeline software. It's on GitHub. So somebody has done Twitter three. Twitter is going just great or going great. And uh, that is an equally uh, wonderful timeline of yeah. horror. I'll give you, you know, there's a great use case that was made for, uh, in fact, PayPal was making this case briefly, and I think they backed off for it from it uh, last year, which was um, crypto was a way to uh, help uh, worldwide remittances. There's uh, some hundreds of billions of dollars that people who are economic and other immigrants to uh, other countries send back home, and the average rate they pay is uh, upwards sometimes of 8 to 10%, and it's a huge middleman thing. And the UN is set as a goal to reduce that, I want to say, below 5%. Maybe it's the 3%. Uh, they have one of their you know, vision 2025 or whatever. And there's been a lot of work worldwide because every dollar that's taken from an economic uh, migrant working in a different country or even in the same country sending money back to their family or to others um, is just sort of stolen out of their pocket. There's very low costs involved when they're giving cash to an institution that's then just literally transferring it somewhere else. 
else. So that's a, a wonderful area that's right for development and people are working on it. Doesn't necessarily need the blockchain. It was sold as, well, maybe we could use crypto to solve this because the fees would be very small. And then, of course, the fees went up crazily on transactions. The whole, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum went through the roof in terms of the cost and that whole market disappeared. So I do hope that there's actual attention continuing to be paid to reduce the cost of people sending money home. Uh, but crypto doesn't seem to be the answer there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, not, not, only don't you, not only do you not need blockchain to do it, blockchain mm-hmm. gets in the way. Yes. Like, of course, it should be cheaper to transfer money everywhere. Of course. But why isn't it? Yeah. Is it because it costs like, you know, Visa, MasterCard or, or Swift too much money to send those electrons? No, it costs that much money because somebody likes it. So yeah. if you want to make like a non-exploitative financial system, the way to do it is to make a non-exploitative financial system. You yeah. know, make TransferWise, right? Like yeah. TransferWise or Wise, I think they're just renamed, right? Like, yeah, they let you send money to lots of places and they give Love you the cheapest possible guys. rate. Yeah. And like, it's not blockchain because it turns out like all you need to do is be like, I'm going to make a bank and I'm not going to screw people. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with like burning down the whole tech stack. <laughs> no, it has no, to right. do you with know, trying to make something non-exploitative, right. which I totally support. Right. Transferwise, right, which is wise now, I've used them for years as a small business person where I have to send sometimes relatively large when I when I get a book letterpress printed in London. Uh, Leo, I have to send money to thousands of pounds to a printer in London. It's very complicated to do that. And I've used that service because, right, they use technology to actually make things better <laughs> and to make I am glad to know real time and transparent. Because we use PayPal to pay people overseas, yeah. but they charge a lot. Yeah. Wise charges the least. It, not only it's not that they charge the least, they expose all their fees. So sometimes there are better alternatives. Sometimes I've done a direct wire through my credit union, but right. often I can use this. And the money, uh, there's some people, I, a podcasting editor I pay from time to time in Canada, and he gets the money sometimes like 10 minutes after I initiate the transfer. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. We, so, we, we have many pays uh, over <laughs> out of the U.S., and I don't want to say overseas. Because they're not overseas to themselves, we're overseas <laughs> to them. You're but overseas. outside of the U.S. and uh, and we uh, and yeah, that's good. I'll I'll tell Lisa because that's uh, this is good. Yeah. So I have no I have no financial. I assume Phil has no financial interest yeah. with no, them. I just no. really, it's great when you find something where you're like, this actually works and saves me money, and it's um it's technology well, that, done right. And that, and I understand that uh, for a lot of people, you know, Jay Z started a school about crypto in an under you know un, uh, underserved poor neighborhood. Because he felt like it was going to help people who have been underserved or even worse, you know, redlined by tra- mm-hmm. you know, traditional financial uh, institutions to yeah. create their own financial future. It's unfortunate. And that's the problem because Bitcoin is not the answer. There are answers. But that's not the answer. Crypto is not no the answer. There's no shortcut to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think like in, in general, my, my heuristic on this stuff is when you look at anything that's really screwed up in the world and, you know, financial institutions – is definitely one of them. And you, but you pretty much look at anything that's really screwed up in the world and you kind of ask, well, why is it screwed up? The answer is almost all the time because somebody likes it that way. Um, <laughs> and then and you so have that, to say why. Qui bono, as they say. Yeah, right? And, and right. And the analysis is like, well, who likes it? Right. And what do they like about it? And what can we give them to like more than what they currently <laughs> like about it? Right. Um, and, and very rarely is the answer, well, why is something screwed up in the world? Oh, it's because we need a completely, we need to burn things to the ground and have a completely different like, stack. <laughs> that's not a good answer. That's not, not usually. No. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah. But look, I, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation because us four old guys are totally going to kill Web3 and crypto. And <laughs> I assume that well, everything, that's ev- everyone that's heard it is like, well, we're done with this. And Well, I've been yeah. saying, I've been beating this drum for a while. When, when, when this all first started, we were You're very evil. interested in the technology, as a lot of technologists were. Uh, yeah. But it's become pretty clear over the last year. Uh, started with NFTs, and and it's become pretty clear. And I think any so so the to answer my my initial question, it sounds like even though FTX doesn't tarnish all of crypto, it is kind of an eye opener that in the long run shows us this is not the path. Both things can be true at the same time. FTX uh, is almost certainly uh, you know a giant scam, uh, and you know regardless of crypto or not, it's just like its own thing. Again, when you know. Uh, (laughs) he's just put up a sign which I have to read now because 90% of the audience doesn't see your sign not legal (laughs) advice not financial advice this is all as I remember it but my memory might be faulty in parts that's great can I have that for my show that's wonderful this is I'm just I'm just this is a direct quote from SPF this is this is is that what SPF said is it really yeah this is a direct quote that's good Uh, and um, so yeah so it's it's, it's Trumpian in its brilliance yeah it's it's uh, probably FT is a giant scam that would have been a scam even if it wasn't crypto and at the same time crypto is a scam too are these two scams operating at the same time Mm -hmm. are these valid technologies valid advanced technologies that the scammers and the criminals get to first and ruin it for the that's a good question Mm -hmm. it's a very good question but i don't i don't think so because again like okay i built some stuff right that's like i guess web 2 and, and some stuff in web 1 and we built stuff before there was hype around it, right? We weren't like, oh, look at us. We're building Web 2.0. We build things, and then millions of people use them and got benefit from it. And I don't mean like, I mean, by we, I mean like Evernote, but also like Dropbox and Uber and Box and all that stuff. And before that, Yahoo and Google and Amazon. And millions and millions and millions of people used it and loved it and got value out of it. And there wasn't like, there wasn't hype. It was like, you know, we weren't saying that this is like some new thing. We just build stuff that works. And and it was mostly built by engineers. And then Web3, the engineers, like for the most part, there's actually not a lot of interesting technology in here. It's not a technologist thing. I think the reason, Leo, that you're kind of skeptical about it is like your history is like you're a tech person. And crypto is not tech. Crypto is finance. Yeah. A bunch of the finance bros got involved and they just – there's just gibberish like all finance people. <laughs> Um, and they started like hyping this Web three thing before there's a single there's a single use case that's actually being used by millions of people and getting value that isn't like self referential that isn't about buying more crypto and scamming other people out of like crypto, and so like this is a case where like I understand that yes there should be some if if we're gonna call, if we're gonna claim what like you know the previous generation was Web two then of course there's gonna be something called Web three because three is a larger number than two. And it comes afterwards. And like, I get it. And somebody will build something. But it's not going to be based on the blockchain because the blockchain is a pretty idiotic idea, technically. Like, it's kind of interesting intellectually. Not really. But, but technically, like, <laughs> almost nothing can be built on it that's real. And nothing has been built on it that's real. And it's been long enough. Where's the real stuff? Where's the stuff built on blockchain? Again, that isn't self-referential. That isn't about, like, speculating on other blockchain stuff, right? Like, the first book... Like, it would be as if when Amazon got started for a while, you could only buy books about how to, how to, how to uh, sell books on the Internet. It's like all the books on Amazon were just like other how-to books about how to sell books on, on the Internet. 
And, and, and they'd be like, see, it's successful. Look at all these books we have about how to sell books on the Internet. <laughs> Make it would money be like, at home in your spare yeah, time. <laughs> it would be like if YouTube got started and like all of the videos on YouTube was about like how to post videos on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but that's what Web3 is. It's all about just like more yeah. Web3 speculation. It, and there isn't anything. It's circular. It doesn't. Right. It's just it's good because it's good. It's good because it's good. Tim Berners-Lee, the creator of the actual World Wide Web is working on just what you talked about, kind of a next-generation web. He says, ignore Web 3. <laughs> web 3 is not the web at all, he says. Yeah, not the, yeah. Yeah. Who came up with the term Web 3? Mark Andreessen. Where did that come from? Probably, yeah, probably him. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, Zuckerberg, I don't think. So we woke up one day and everyone was talking about it and nobody could define it. It was great. Yeah. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It's uh, according to A16Z, Web 3... We deserve a better internet. <laughs> we do. Web3, the third generation of the internet, a group of technologies that encompasses digital assets, decentralized finance, blockchains, tokens, and DAOs, baby. No. 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 That's not Whatever the internet we deserve. Whatever happened to internet two? Whatever happened yeah. to internet two? We're, We're living in it. Two? Yeah. We're living in it. <laughs> no, that was like a fast Web 2.0. Remember Web 2.0? I well, think it was... I think uh, it Web 2.0 was... was Web apps, right? I mean, Web yeah. 2.0 was sort of, it was like interactive right. pages without reloading. It was, uh, remember Ajax? It was Ajax. It's still there. It's just not called <laughs> that anymore. It's React, right? Now. I did a lot of, I did a lot of low-level Ajax programs. Yeah. Learned some think low-level JavaScript. There's yes. a bunch of people that, um, who aren't technologies and who aren't finance people. And to them, which is most of the world, right? Most of the world is neither technologies nor finance people. And to them, we may look the same. Because like we're like both we're both like sort of like babble a lot and use like weird language, <laughs> and so I can see why for many people in the world they would confuse technology with finance. But we're pretty different people. We're different. We're the we're nerds. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's take yeah. a break. I have some final stories to wrap up. I could go for hours with you guys. This is for me. This is like fit. I am. My eyes are opened. The scales have fallen. I'm going to throw my Bitcoin wallet into the sea. Uh, virtually, uh, don't don't throw open, it into the trash heap. We'll have to, you have to pay someone to dig it out of the trash heap. He's never going to get it. Glenn Fleischman is here. Glenn dot fun two ends, but lots of fun. Mister Dwight Silverman, authory dot com slash d Silverman, and the wonderful Phil Libin. Mm hmm. M M H M M dot app. That's how he makes it snow, man. That's how he does it. Uh, we are going to take a little break, come back with uh, about 12 very quick stories, uh, just because I want to uh, wrap it up in a couple of obituaries, too. Our show today brought to you by ExpressVPN. We talk a lot about VPNs, the idea that you protect your privacy online if you use a VPN, that you protect your security if you're an open Wi-Fi access point, that you can watch you know, Netflix in Japan if you like manga. Those benefits are real for a VPN. In effect, you take your browsing and you encrypt it and then you emerge into the public Internet somewhere else. But I got to point out, it's really important that you choose the right provider because everything you're protecting yourself against with your VPN is suddenly available to the server, the, the other end. When you emerge, the encryption goes away. You're, you know, you've got to choose a VPN provider who cares as much, as much about your privacy and security as you do, who takes the money. And by the way, never trust a free VPN ever because they have to monetize somehow. How do they do it? You. So takes the money you pay them, a reasonable, fair amount of money, and invests it in 
um, servers all over the world. Good bandwidth for every one of those servers. Uh, rotates their IP addresses so that it's fresh every time you use it. And somebody who takes the time to make sure that your privacy is 100% protected, that's ExpressVPN. There was a great article I recommended if you're at all interested in Bleeping Computer about how ExpressVPN works. They use a custom Debian distribution that wipes the drive on reboot, and they reboot every day. So even if they were logging your activity, it'd be gone every morning when they started up fresh. But they're not logging because they also invented something called Trusted Server, which is a VPN server that runs in RAM-only sandboxed. It cannot write to the hard drive. So when you press that big button on your ExpressVPN app, it launches that server in RAM. It disappears when you close it, and that's it. And we know it works. We know it works because they have independent third-party audits that say, yes, they adhere to their privacy policy. Yes, trusted server works as stated it's just really good. They're now using something new called Lightway. This is a new VPN protocol that they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I know sometimes when I talk about VPNs, people say, well, I don't want to slow my connection down. ExpressVPN is so fast, you'll forget you're using it. Uh, in fact, I, I often forget and leave it on, which is fine. You can stream video in HD quality, no buffering. It's thanks to this great Lightway VPN protocol. Really, really cool. ExpressVPN runs on everything you've got. Your your Android, your iOS device, your Windows PC, your Mac, your, your Linux, your Chromebook. You can even use ExpressVPN on your router. They sell routers now with ExpressVPN on the router. And it's not just me saying this. Business Insider, The Verge, many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one in the world for those reasons. Now, you say, all right, well, it's not free. How much? It's not much. About seven bucks a month. And I'm telling you, you pay any less than that, that's because they're taking advantage of you. Protect yourself with the VPN I use and trust. Go to expressvpn.com slash twit. They've got a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can verify everything I say is true. When you buy a one-year package, you'll get three months free. That brings the price down to less than seven bucks a month. This is the key. You gotta trust the server. You gotta trust the server. I trust ExpressVPN. I think you should, too. ExpressVPN.com slash twit. We thank them so much for supporting This Week in Tech. And we thank you when you use that address. When you buy ExpressVPN, we, then they say, oh, that, those ads work. And they buy more of them. <laughs> ExpressVPN.com uh, slash twit. We had a great week on Twit this week. We've prepared a little video presentation. We didn't use them. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should have watched. I think Charles Hayden Savage is on the line. Am I correct? Yes. Charles <laughs> Hayden Savage is here. And just to, to be clear, for those of you who aren't, you know, up to the latest hip thing, uh, I'm actually Steve Martin here on the phone with my old friend Leo. Previously on Twit, the tech guy. The reason I'm calling in is because there's a little announcement. I was I wanted you to tell people so they wouldn't, you know, get mad yeah. at me. You, you cheer them Ladies up. Ladies and gentlemen, by the end of this year, Mr. Leo Laporte will be retiring from the radio. Is that accurate, Leo? That is accurate. I, uh... Wow. I mean... I've been doing this yeah. show almost as long as you lived in the Arconia. All about Android. I'm going to be reviewing the Logitech G Cloud gaming device. 
I don't know, man. When you compare it against the Steam Deck that does a ton more, I feel like the price is off. If this was $100, $150 cheaper, I feel like it would be a no-brainer. Today on This Week in Space, who is Q? We visit with John Delancey. <gasps> the closest that I could say is that he was a an omnipotent being who was too stupid to know it. Roddenberry <laughs> kind of snuck up behind me and said, uh, you have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. <laughs> he was giving me a, a little bit of insight into, into the world that for the last 30 years has... continues to reveal itself to me. If you missed Twit this week, you missed a lot. (laughs) My last question. Okay. All right. Michael, you can, this will be your department. All right. Stretching. I'm ready. I I have some shortcuts. (gasps) Wow. Uh, I'm telling you, this guy's good. Look at, okay. He uh, sent us his uh, shortcuts. Micah is analyzing them now. Steve it, Martin, you, uh, so I, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to tune into that episode. Later. I owe. That's my, well, um, he was that. You pretty much saw. He wasn't there that long. Uh, still, <laughs> I owe Twitter for knowing Steve. Uh, Steve listens to the shows. I did not know that, ah. uh, but he DM'd me on Twitter. Said hi, this is Steve Martin. You don't have to answer this, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. I, why would anyone want to talk to Steve? And oh. we formed. That was 15 years ago. We formed a That's friendship. Lovely. Nice guy. That's how I uh, that's how I got to know uh, Roseanne Cash a little bit. Was through yeah, Twitter same thing. Her, I think that's why person. Twitter. Twitter was for small. so many of us. Uh, and Steve, remember, he did a whole book of his tweets. He was the funniest guy on Twitter. Uh, really good stuff. Um, a little, a little less a Twitter guy these days. Yeah, I didn't ask him. I didn't want to say. I didn't he's want to put more. him on the spot. He's a very sweet. He's a car- He's a cartoonist now. He's a cartoon writer with oh, Harry man. Bliss. Yes, his uh, so Harry Bliss. Uh, well, that's what uh, I sh- uh, he's. That's how it happened. Is he sent me his new book and he said I miss talking to you. He autographed it and I said, Oh well, we can uh, we can handle that. That's uh, but it's sweet. a very funny book. Have you seen it? Uh, I've got the first one. Is there a second one now? There's a, yeah, he did the, the Pigeons book. And his newest just came out. Oh, see, I'm giving him a plug. He, he hates huh. it. He huh. hates it when Sorry. I give him plugs. He Sorry. always says, I plug the book. And he goes, no, Leo, you don't have to do that. <laughs> the plug is, uh, his new book is with Harry Bliss. It's called Number One is Walking. It's all right. You don't have to go get it. Sorry. Number One is Walking. It's, I highly recommend it. It's uh, his memories of his life in the movies uh and it's it's really it's very funny harry bliss is a great illustrator i, I don't harry know bliss if it was story. praise or not but i said steve this reminds me a lot of mouse by art spiegelman <laughs> wow M- minus the holocaust thing and uh holy cow yeah but it uh, but oh, it was, i saw some of this in the new yorker yeah it's yeah really this is good. great but it's it's yeah. beautifully drawn, and then there's a bunch of cartoons. I said, Steve, did you? How does that work? He says, Yeah, I write the punchlines, and then Harry does the co- the cartoon. It's Steve, Steve Martin is the most admirable person for figuring out what stage of his career he's in. I I, his his autobiography was so wonderful in talking about. How so this is the sequel the to 20th. Born Standing Up. Oh, okay. Oh, it's the I see, and this one's illustrated. Born Standing Up. The the way that he said, you know. He spent so long trying to achieve the pinnacle of his career, and then he realized he's standing there on stage in this massive auditorium, and people are saying his lines as he's saying them. And he was like, "That's kind of it, comedy. And, I'm done." And then he moved on. And how many yeah. know he's in his fourth or fifth uh, successful different reincarnation himself, like There's Stephen Fry or something? Phil, Phil has the book. I didn't realize that. My life yeah. in the movies. So it picks up where number where uh, Born <laughs> Standing Up ends, uh, oh, talking about how he got in the movies, and. It ends with him saying, I'm saying goodbye to the movies, or maybe the movies say goodbye to me. He's moved on. 
Uh, he does the the show he does with Martin Short. Uh, not mm-hmm. not just the TV show, only murders in the building. That's that's wonderful. But he also does a stand up show with Martin that's hysterical. I did not know about that. Oh, if you get a chance to see yeah, that, it's so busy and his and his band. All those Deep Canyon right Rangers. He plays yeah. with them. Uh, yeah, he does. Um, he tours still with Martin Short. Uh, they call it a, a night you'll forget for the rest of your life. And uh, it's them and just funniest things you've ever seen. I mean, I, you're I like belly the, laughing. I like to model my career after him, except that I, you know, not the funny part. I'm not funny. The, but the like the professional reinvention and, no, and no, no. finding like new volunteer man. things. Really you know, he I just is love super, what he's He done. is a, a novelist. He's a super sweet, smart guy. I mean, he's writing Apple shortcuts. What the hell? I was like. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got some shortcuts. And they're not, they want him to do some other things. So anyway, yeah, it was really fun to get him on. And because he's had so many careers, I thought it appropriate for him to say that I'm leaving something I've been doing for 46 years, since 1976. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first love was radio. Uh, but podcasting scratches that itch. I mean, what is this? This is the same thing as radio. Um, and uh, and I don't really need to work for some. So part of this is... I never really felt like, well, I could probably stop. I could quit my day job and just do podcasting. Finally, after 15 years, I know, yeah, maybe this podcasting thing, well, this, this could work out. Okay, I could quit my day job finally. So I, I'm just leaving that radio show, the premier radio network that I work for. Um, AM radio is not the most vital industry <laughs> these days. But the reach, the number of miles it goes. Well, it's pretty neat. And the people I reach are generally uh, older people who are baffled by technology. And those people need help. So we, we somebody's going to take the show. Rich Demuro from KTLA. He was on CNET. He's a great young guy. Knows his stuff. He's going to help those old people with their printer problems. So I don't have to. <laughs> Thank God. That's my, I know that audience very well. With my writing, I have an aging audience of people aging along with me. Yeah, okay, a couple of, couple of quick stories uh, that I thought everybody uh, should know about. The FTC, I'm sorry, FCC, <clears throat> has finally released its U.S. broadband internet maps, which, of course, you know, they're terrible. Yeah. But uh, the good news is you can go to the map, enter your address, and correct it. So uh, if, if and, it, you know, it's often the case, I'll enter in our uh, business address here. And it should know it, but it doesn't. But, uh, way that's good means you haven't uh, stored your address in some way someone else. Can get yeah, because isn't that weird that nowadays you'll enter an address and go, "Oh, you mean, oh, you mean there?" And I go, "Yeah, how do you? How did you know that?" So they say that we have uh, nothing. So I could fix that. <laughs> it doesn't look like we have any uh, internet at all. Um, but they will tell you what they think you have, and you can say, "No, no, they're lying. I, I'm not getting anywhere near that." That's good. Uh, and that kind of stuff. So do correct it. Go there. It's uh, broadbandmap.fcc.gov. Uh, this is a long-promised uh, broadband map the FCC has been working on for some years. It's finally out. Broadbandmap.fcc.gov. Um, the Earth weighs six ronograms. I knew you'd want to know that. I was. Uh... We have a new... Thing. What do you call these? Si- Scientific. It's an SI unit. Yes. International System of Units. The last time they added new units was 1991 when they added Zeta and Yada. You know, there's Zeta bytes and Yada bytes. 
There's also, I maybe you didn't know this, a Yada meter, which is 24 what, zeros, one followed by 24 zeros. It's what my grandfather would say. You got a Yada chutzpah. A Yada bites you got. If you got a lot of bites, you got a Yada. So there was a problem because Google started using Hellabytes. And uh, and Bronto bites, um, and that is not approved by the official <laughs> governmental uh, intergovernmental organization that's responsible for this, partly because they're alphabetic. So every letter has been used now except R oh. and Q. So you huh. couldn't use Bronto bites or Hellabytes; those are already in use. So they had to use R. And Q, although Hellabytes would have been pretty cool. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so R and Q are the new ones. Rana or Rano and Keta, Q-U-E-T-T-A or Queto. These are the new metric prefixes, the world's largest and smallest measurements. When it ends with an A, it's uh, large. When it ends with an O, it's small. So you have a kilometer. No, I see the other way. I don't know. I don't understand this stuff. Look, the larger a, prefixes end with A. The smaller in O. So, oh, I see. Yeah. Most of them. But not all of them, of but course. Apparently not kilogram. <laughs> yeah. Kilo, kilogram. There's no kilogram. And micro. Yeah. A yeah. quecto. But nanometer and nana. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So I just wanted to this tell is. you. So you'd have this to use. It's the first time in 30 years new prefixes have been added uh, the 27th General Conference on Weights and Measures, which meets every four years at Versailles, because why not, um, has now proclaimed the two new things. The Earth, now we can say, weighs six Rana grams. That's a six followed by 27 zeros. Jupiter is two Queta grams. That's a two followed by 30 ah. zeros. So, you know, 27, then you add 3, and there's 30. So the Rana is 27 zeros. The Queta is 30 zeros. No Hellabytes or Brano bites. Okay. <clears throat> Nothing more to say about that, but I uh, just want to so, let so you know. what are they going to do next? They're out of letters? Yeah, they're out of letters. We can't. Sorry. Stop. Alpha. I mean, alphabets. I don't know what they're going to do. That's a good question. Em emoji. It'll be like. <laughs> <laughs> They'll go to Hex. Yeah. That's always the solution. Umlaut you. Uh, yeah, it's diacrit. I don't know. That's a good question. What do we do? Uh, I think everybody was very inspired by the Artemis uh, 2 a.m. launch. Uh, oh, late great. night, beautiful launch. They're on their way tomorrow. They arrive at the moon. Was anybody tonight. shocked by how fast I was watching it? And they're like, T minus zero. It was like, and it was off. So I was like, I can't think of another launch in which it was just. Free of Earth that quickly. You're right, because it it's so the largest trust. rocket we have oh. ever made. Incredible. Um, I was a little nervous that because they're using hydrogen, that there, it was very leaky because it's a small molecule. It's a tiny molecule. It's the smallest molecule. Uh, but uh, they figured it out, I guess, and they, they got rid of the leaks. So, The flight plan is, uh, or the uh, trajectory is pretty extraordinary. A lot yeah. of swings around this and that, and uh, a lot of fun. Oh, it's there. a wide effect. What was the site that... Uh, Rod Pyle was on uh, the tech guy, and he gave us a site, a NASA site for uh, the that's really cool simulation of Artemis, and you can oh. see 
the orbit, which is very oh, eccentric. Is that the word one uses for eccentrics? Uh, I don't think it's eccentric. I think it's just uh, it's a complicated. It's uh, complicated. It's complicated. It, it, you, it, it allows you to have a camera view of either the orbit or the Earth as the spacecraft sees it now, or the Moon. It's so cool. Sees it now. So it's a nasa.gov uh, uh, slash specials slash track Artemis. We're looking at it uh, right now. There's Artemis. Oh, great. Uh, you can get a tour. of. I'm not oh, going to do the you. tour. But there's. you can see there's the moon. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's getting close, right? They're almost there. It's incredible. Um, this is a simulation. Uh, you can, you can uh, obviously move it around. You can get the mission view as well. And see the crazy uh, orbits that it's going to do and all it, this. It's great. I think ever since NASA's been doing this now for, uh, what, since the 70s, they did it with uh, this thing where you swing around other planets to pick up gravity yeah. or to change trajectory. It's a, it's well, the kind of thing that sounds more science fiction I guess, than it is. It's a but slingshot. slingshot. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. I think they did that with Voyager to get it, uh, Voyager 2, to get it over to... Um, Jupiter. The outer planets, right? The two yep. Joe, Joe says planets. the orbit is not eccentric, it's just misunderstood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's not the orbit that the final mission. I asked Rod, who's you know he's the uh, editor in chief of Ad Astra, is at the National Space Society, an expert, his co-host on This Week in Space. He's the host of our This Week in Space show. His co-host is Tarek Malik, Space dot com. I said, Rod, what's the projection? He said, Well, Donald Trump said we'd be on the moon in two years, twenty twenty five, but he says my money's on twenty twenty seven. But we are going back to the moon. We will have an orbital all space right. station on the moon, and it's all preparatory towards going past the moon and on to Mars. So, very exciting. Very exciting for us geeks. It's super cool. Yeah. Beautiful launch. And the uh, web stuff is super cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, let's face it. NASA understands that there's the, a big part of their mission is PR. They've got to get Congress to give them the money, and to do that, they've yeah. got to get us to tell our member of Congress, give them more money! Yeah, well, you know, it was almost the James Webb 3, sponsored by FTX. <laughs> yeah, I guess why not? Yeah, James <laughs> Webb, turns out, uh, the NASA administrator, when many gay people were not allowed to work at NASA, so there's uh, some concern, but they're not going to rename the telescope. But, yeah, they keep reviewing it. But I like the James Webb 3, that's funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> this capsule may have been made in a factory that produces nuts. Um <laughs> But it's so cool, like the pictures you're getting back from that. Like, oh, it's I love beautiful. NASA is like the thing that reminds me more than anything else. Like every so Humans often, humans are like, not so bad. Yeah, yeah, and like it's kind of awesome, and there's yeah. like real stuff to yeah be psyched about. This uh, this mission has, I think, 14 very high quality cameras. The last time we did this, they had to send film back to be processed. Oh, God, <laughs> now we can get digital shots, and yeah, the moon rise, the Earth rise, some. Just stunning shots. Oh, We're yeah. going to get beautiful I, images of the moon. I did a story a few years ago for The Economist when uh, Curiosity launched and um, did a bunch of Curiosity-related stories. And one was about the cameras on board because I think it had forgotten the total number. I think it had 13, which was unprecedented. And one of the people I talked to was at a contractor, and he said, well, this is the first time any camera I've designed has actually landed on a planet. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had them, and he listed three doomed missions that his cameras have been on. So across his entire working career of 20-something years at this point, the work that he had done, and finally, and now we're there, you know, NASA's firing at all cylinders, they say, uh, for the last, like, 15-plus years, and uh, commercial firms as well, ESA as well, has been so many successes. SpaceX, I just, let's give them I was, credit. 
picturing spending your entire working career having all of your cameras blow up in space or crash on landing, and then suddenly it's like, oh, well, five of the ones in the Curiosity are ones I had my hands on. It's like, amazing. Pretty slick. But amazing to be at that time when you can have that many cameras and they can send back data from uh, relay stations yeah. and things. It's just Look, you could, have been, you could have been an engineer working you know, on the Bluetooth consortium for the past 30 years. <laughs> and it still can't so, connect to a phone. So, can you, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel bad, feel bad for them. It's not their, entirely their fault. Oh, gosh. A uh, couple of obituaries. We always end the show, uh, well, when there are people to uh, memorialize. And I'm sad to say there are. To this week, uh, the great science fiction author Greg Bear yeah. uh, passed away. If you have not read his books, uh, I couldn't recommend them more highly. I loved Blood Music. Really fascinating. Darwin's Radio. Uh, many awards. He's won over 50 books. This would be a good excuse to go out and read some Greg Bear uh, novels. Uh, Hugo Award winning uh, science fiction author passed away this week. Uh, and a book that I read years ago that Elon maybe should read now. The author of The Mythical Man Month, <laughs> Frederick Brooks. Uh, designed OS 360, IBM operating system, uh, discovered the software tar pit and wrote one of the great classics uh, of all time in 1975, The Mythical Man Months. Have you, have you read that book recently? Not recently, no. Why? Is it the, terrible? It does not hold up. Oh, I, I no. I remember reading that book. I remember reading that book uh, in high school and being like, oh, this is so amazing. Yeah. It was great. Me too. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. So the premise, as I remember it, is that you can't throw money at software projects. The, the more people does not make a better product. Yeah. I mean, the core idea, I think, is a really solid idea. I think the book is a book of its time. It was, like, pretty sexist and, like, it's, you know, it's what you expect from engineering culture to have been like in mm -hmm. kind of the IBM 360. Uh, and I think maybe one of the reasons it doesn't hold up is because the basic idea has been embraced so much that it's like it, it hardly seems worse. Everybody knows it now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. now what's left when you read it is like the cringe. <laughs> it sounds like he he evolved is the interesting part. Uh, Stephen Belavin, who's a great, you know, former AT&T Bell Labs uh, cryptography and uh, other fellow um he wrote a wonderful tribute to brooks yeah. and, uh, who had been his mentor and had really helped him in a lot of different ways and it sounds like brooks just had he said he literally described with the capital c a, a calling to go into teaching and it sounds like he was constantly uh testing and reevaluating his ideas so i think the the sad part is he didn't write a you know mythical person month two uh book because it probably would have been a lot more interesting based on 30 more years in uh in uh of his working and yeah. teaching life well yeah. i still have my copy i'll pull it out and a tip of the hat to uh two uh very important people in uh, in technology and yeah you know uh regardless uh he changed a lot of things uh Ab Fred absolutely Brooks. changed my life so yeah very, very there you go right okay okay uh you are now on the uh, on the drone ship. Of course, I love you. I believe, uh, waiting for the, <laughs> something to land. <laughs> you know, I didn't know this, but all of those weird drone ship names come from the uh, Ian Banks Culture series. Yeah. So I've downloaded all those uh, audio books now, and they're on my next on my list uh, to read. I thought Elon was just a weirdo. <clears throat> Not just a weirdo. <laughs> Not just any weirdo. There are, there are. I have read articles that say that he is so influenced by Ian Banks' notion 
of uh, artificial intelligence that this is, in fact, if you want to understand Elon, it's a critical thing oh. to read. So I'm going to I'm now embarking on the culture series. Uh, Phil, such a great pleasure to have Phil Libin on with us. Um, not just any weirdo. He's our weirdo. And we are so <laughs> glad, so glad to have him on all-turtles.com. And don't forget mm-hmm, the app with the funny name, M-M-H-M-M dot app. Anything you want to plug or mention or say, it's your, ch- your chance here. I think you know it's a good what you just said is is is, is interesting about uh, uh, Elon. There's always like lists of books that he reads, and he is I think quite influenced by that and talks a lot about about his reading uh, yeah. habits and his list. And then con- con- contrast that to the famous SBF quote, right about like ah books. I don't, I don't read books. Books yeah, are for people. Yeah. I've never read a book I in my life. Books. Yeah, kind of should have seen it coming. No, I re- I respect people who read and. Um, and I do think that a lot of the world we live in today is inspired by the the scientists, the technologists, and the engineers who read science fiction as kids, who said, thought, you know, that'd be cool if we could just make that. Uh, so science fiction authors are pretty darn, pretty darn important. Phil, always a pleasure. Uh, we will get you back soon. Absolutely. Now that I know Anytime. it's okay to ask you, we will ask you. <laughs> Glenn Fleischman, on the other hand, is so tired of us asking him that uh, <laughs> he probably needs a break. I you, just sit here all the time and occasionally I tune even, in and you film me. You haven't me. even changed your shirt since the last no, show. No, come on. I, I have a different shirt every show. No, oh, okay. Check sh- the file. Check the files. <laughs> I have developed an extensive array of colorful shirts. Glenn, maybe that's it. They just all look the same. Glenn.fun with two N's is his website. You read him three. in many places. <laughs> He's, of course, a podcaster. Uh, you hear him on The Incomparable, many other great podcasts. He is, I'm so proud to say, now on our Mastodon server, so you can talk to him there at twit.social. In fact, he even put it up at the top of his page. I love that. My page. You replace Twitter with Mastodon uh, and Insta and Flickr. Great to Fun have Fun place you. to talk. Thank yeah. you for having me back. I think we'll see more of you soon, I know. Uh, because Jeff loves talking about flongs. <laughs> That's right. I'll, uh, I'm off. I'm off to Europe on Tuesday for oh, a couple fun. weeks. Of, where, uh, where are you going? And uh, uh, how are you going? Are you uh, train. I'm, fly, I'm, fly, I'm flying to Europe, not yes. by boat. Uh, my older kid has taken his uh, gap year. He's taken a few weeks in Europe, uh, bumming around. So I'm meeting him in Berlin in a few days, and then we're going to uh, Prague, Vienna, Ljubljana. <sighs> Venice, Wonderful. and it's going to be one of those running through town things. We've got two weeks, and we're going to go through five cities and see a lot of museums and uh, oh, climb well, a lot of mountains, see some old friends, and it'll be a hoot. He's going to far-flung places, somebody in the chat room Far-flung. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> no, have a up. wonderful trip. That sounds Thank so great. You. Will we see pictures on Instagram? I'll, I'll post pictures. I'm going to be visiting a letterpress printer in Ljubljana, of course. Letterpress printer and stone carver. In Ljubljana, Slovenia, There's one of my one of my stops. Something like letterpress and stone carving. They seem like they they go very together. different fields, oh, okay. but they go together. And I'm yeah. I'm going to be interested yeah. to see his studio. It's really nice. fun. Mister Dwight Silverman, old friend, old pal. Find all of his stuff. It's so cool at authory a u t h o r y dot com slash d silverman. Is, yep, is, it's got uh, the chronicle uh, column that I do that runs every week publishes online on friday print on sunday and uh, and also all of the all all of my stuff from forbes when i was there for about 20 minutes 
And uh, I was going to ask, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and I have a question though about Phil to, for Phil. You have a podcast, Phil. Uh, I used to have a podcast. We used to do the Old Turtles podcast. You uh, should do which, one, or Leo should put you on. And uh, I agree. You. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Agree. You're great. I, I want to listen to you before you know, I go to bed every night, just talking calmly about technology. Yes, you know, if the CEO thing way. doesn't work out, you could do stand up. <laughs> There's the problem. So, <laughs> and and Glenn, when you go to uh, when you go to Germany, you go to Berlin. Yeah. There's a wonderful restaurant, very quirky restaurant, in the oh. basement of the Opera House in oh, Berlin. Yeah. And you should hit that up. Get their, get the soup. The soup is fantastic. I will look that up. I, uh, people are recommending also there's a, there's a restaurant that recreates East German delicacies. And I've thought, oh, dear. Oh, maybe. <laughs> is it, is it called give... Stasi? The East the <laughs> German up, restaurant? <laughs> no, there, there's one. No, I, I, it's, I saw a video on it, and then a friend's like, "Oh, maybe we should go there." I'm like, "I, I think I can skip nostalgia about East German food. I think most, I think most East Germans do." Wow. So there is a place uh, that's just like a few feet away from where Checkpoint Charlie used to be, hmm. called Stack Point Charlie. Oh, oh my gosh, which is you know worth a visit. I uh, uh, near Checkpoint Charlie anyway. For the we year. went uh, when I was. Uh, traveling around on the geek cruises we went to berlin i took my ah. son who was about 10 to see checkpoint charlie i don't know if he, it really sunk in but i we bought a bit of the berlin wall which i oh, uh, yeah. i kept for him and he i gave him on his last birthday i still don't think he understands what it is uh but it was it was quite a quite a trip and it is something to see checkpoint charlie and the remains of where the berlin wall was and of course the the big Brandenburg Gates right there and everything. It was really, it was quite something to see. I yeah. spent a lot of time in uh, university studying uh, German history. So most of my knowledge of Germany is, is pre and during World War II. I don't really know much about what it's like today. So it'll be fascinating to see Berlin, honestly. Through Great city. I like I'm 70 years old. Yeah, I think uh, you'll have a great, well, Prague is amazing. Prague, can't wait to Go to Prague. Old Town and see the clock, the uh, 13th century clock. That they they blinded the clockmaker after he made it, so he would should not make it for any other person on the hour. Not cool. Dancing people come out. It's an incredible thing to see. Incredible. I'll go find the golem of Prague. Also, the golem. Got to go see sure. the golem. Everybody, you know, maybe uh, the golem. And then if you ever go to Brussels, you can see the mannequin piss, and you'll be done. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen enough of the mannequin. Piss, yeah. uh, how much mannequin? Also in the subways in New York. There it is. Here we are at the beautiful. Checkpoint Charlie's. No, no, this is this is the best currywurst in Berlin. Ah, oh, I want to go. Yeah, oh, Knopke, Knopke is imbiss. Yeah, it's very currywurst good. food truck. Best That's curry confusing. Worst. Is it a bit, little bit of India in uh, in Germany or? A lot of I'm not Turkish. really sure why they call it that. It's, it's fusion. It's fusion food. Curry powder. They've a lot of Turkish influence. The thing I'm looking for is Döner kebab. Is the big Berlin oh, yeah, innovation. Yeah. It's supposed to be very good there. So I'm going to also currywurst. Is, is I'm, I'm have a have a currywurst and a Döner kebab. Yeah, <laughs> get back to us. <laughs> My arteries are last on the trip back. I will. <laughs> we uh, do twit every Sunday. Man, was this a fun one? I'm glad you were here for it. About two Pacific, five Eastern, twenty two hundred UTC. Usually starts about half an hour in, but if you get here early, you get to see all the pre show stuff. Uh, after the fact, you can download a copy of every show we do on our website twit.tv. You can get it on YouTube as well. There's a whole YouTube channel devoted to this week in tech. 
If you uh, watch live, you should chat live at our IRC or if you're a member of Club Twit in our Discord. Club Twit members get all sorts of stuff, extra stuff. It's uh, less than a blue check on Twitter, just 7 bucks a month. Uh, but it really makes a big difference uh, to us. It helps us out a lot. And uh, it's one of the ways we were able to launch new shows. We do it in the club, including Hands on Windows with Paul Thorat, Hands on Mac with uh, Micah Sargent, The Untitled Linux Show uh, with Jonathan Bennett, uh, Stacy's Book Club, all the stuff we do, the Gizfiz, thanks to club members. So we appreciate it. If you're not in the club, go to twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, it's free, for instance, to join our Mastodon, but it's expensive. The club twit members help us with that. They help us with our forums as well. Uh, they're really the benefactors that make us make it possible for us to do so many things. We love doing what we're doing. I am not retiring. I'm just quitting radio. I plan to be here for a long time, but it's going to take the help of the club to do it. So twit.tv slash club twit. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the can. This Bye-bye. is amazing. Yeah, I forgot to thank, and we'll add this uh, to the show because Andy Carluccio is here. He is the engineering event engineering oh, yeah. manager at Zoom, and it was thanks to Andy and his help that we were able to thank finally you. get Zoom ISO uh, working. And I I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, this is this has been the first time where the, there's no latency. That everybody can overlap. They could talk over each other. <laughs> it's, it's it's really great. been great. So thank you, Andy. He's in studio today, uh, making sure it all works. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll be using pretty fab. from now on. Yeah, yeah.